Hello and welcome to the We Are Geeks Horror channel and our Child's Play Retrospective podcast, where every Friday we'll be covering a new installment in the classic horror franchise. Warning, this podcast contains strong language and spoilers throughout. Go to weirdgeeks.com to check out our other podcast series, Twitch streams, contact details, and news on our very own feature films that are currently in production through our publisher, We Are Tessellate. We Are Geeks is not affiliated with any of the rights holders of the films referenced, and no infringement is intended. Geeks. Geeks. Hello and welcome back to the We Are Geeks Charles Play Retrospective, where every single week we're taking for another installment in the Chucky franchise. I'm your host, Al White, and joining me throughout this entire franchise... There's the word. Al Chard. How you going? And Al Holland. All right, all right, all right. The three Al's. Alison Holland, of course, and Alex on the chart. Thank you very much for continuing to join me. Particularly you, Alex, since last week, Charles Play One, <laughs> 1988. Not a fan, but you came back. I've, I've come back. <laughs> for more. Yep. I thought four and a half stars, well, you, you can only get better. You weren't aware there was an option. <laughs> to be clear, four and a half stars out of ten. Where are we? What are we doing? Charles Play Two, 1990, directed by John Lafia. He's also directed a couple of episodes of Freddy's Nightmares, the TV show, to a Nightmare on Elm Street. He also directed a film called Man's Best Friend, presumably about a dog, and a little bit of Babylon 5, written yet again by Don Mancini. Now, we didn't really mention this in the first one. I think this is definitely in terms of horror, but I'm not even sure in terms of other franchises overall. I don't know any other franchise that's had something like this. So Don Mancini, who came up with this, as we said in the last podcast, in his junior year at UCLA in LA, he's with this entire series. He writes every single film in this series, and later on, we're actually going to see him take over as director as well. He's got a good contract. Yeah, like, I mean, like, think about, like, we've done a Friday 13th, we've done a Nightmare on Elm Street, we just did Texas Chainsaw, always different directors coming in if they keep the same characters we're lucky <laughs> but you never get the same vision carrying through and i think ali like if i remember correctly we kind of left well i left off on texas chainsaw saying i just want them to continue a bit of a vision for two or three films so we have an arc maybe yeah with the because same it's very rare same directors same characters exactly so for better or worse so this is pretty much all don mancini's done in his entire life you go on his imdb he's done maybe two other things but it's all been chucky for his entire life, which you got to get bored at some point, <laughs> you think. But doesn't Is seem he to. bored? Seems they just happy. made a new one. <laughs> I know, he seems pretty and he happy. He doesn't seem bored. So do you guys recognize the name of the director for this one, John Lafia? He no. is the guy... Yep, I do, actually. I saw it, I saw it once written on a cup at Starbucks. <laughs> Touche. That'll... He is the guy who came and helped Don Mancini with the script for the first Charles play. And I told you guys he's the one who sided with adding the voodoo stuff right. to the franchise. Was he the guy that was not allowed on set? I think both him and Don Mancini weren't allowed on set because they were <laughs> okay. threatening to sue the director. Right. For this one... So, yeah, so for this one, they, they took over reins, but they separated duties. So Don Mancini is the only writer in this. John Lafia, weirdly, didn't write, even though he is directing. So presumably, we're going to get a slightly different flavor of film. We have Alex Vincent returning as Andy Barkley. You're and welcome. we've got a whole bunch of new people. We've got Jenny Agata playing Giant Simpson. We've got 
Garrett Graham playing Phil Simpson. We've got Christine Elise playing Kyle. We have Grace Zabriski playing Grace Poole because they couldn't be bothered to think of a different first name. <laughs> Maybe it's just one of those actors who's like, uh, no, I don't react to other names. <laughs> Only my own. We have Beth Grant as Miss Kettlewell, and of course, Brad Dourif returning. This time only credited as Chucky, not credited as Charles Lee Ray. Budget. So, the last film was $9 million. Do you think this one went up or down? Up. I can't answer that because I'm looking at it right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, which do you think, Alex? (laughs) I I think it went up. I think it went up. It went up 13. Yeah, good guess. Good educated guess there. Yeah, $13 million. It grossed worldwide almost $36 million. So it made more money, slightly, slightly more money than the first one. But it did cost a good, a good substantial extra chunk as well. But definitely cemented it as this is, this is just a very, you know, it does a decent, good return. I'm presuming, again, when it went to video markets, it, it made a great return. Because that's really where these, these films yeah, hit their demographic. But I was still not making the numbers that Friday the 13th was making or anything like that. It also took them two years to get this one out so not quite as fast as your normal annual slashes but still decent pace a couple years so did you recognize any of these actors ali because we have a returning face in this film andy from a retrospective we've done before oh no. from a different <laughs> yes we just talked about this yeah. <laughs> i yes, did <stupid>. recognize him <laughs> no who are we talking about all right well let me circle in on this character we have some other people. Jenny Agata. I don't know if you recognize the mother. We haven't covered her before, but she's a great English actress. She's in like The Railway Children, Walkabout, Logan's Run, and American Werewolf in London is where genre fans will know her. I thought she was familiar. But she's also been in little roles and stuff like Captain America, The Winter Soldier, and things like that. Her husband, played by Garrett Graham, he's been in a lot of genre stuff, including Demon Seed and Chopping Mall, which is a fucking hilarious lost classic slasher film about some robots that are patrolling a mall and then they go crazy and start killing some teenagers hanging out in the mall after they close It's a good name for it. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, it's a great name. He was also in Police Academy 6, City Under Siege. Ah, that's where I recognize him from. (laughs) So we have... (laughs) We found it. The teacher, of course, is Grace Zabriskie. She's very well known. She's from Twin Peaks. All of the Twin Peaks, in fact. She's also from Wild at Heart, Drugstore Cowboy, Seinfeld... We have Beth Grant. Sorry, Beth Grant was a teacher. Sorry, my bad. I got this wrong way around. Beth Grant, who was in Donnie Darko, No Country for Old Men, Little Miss Sunshine, The Artist. Lots of recognizable faces here. But the one I'm talking about, Ali, is Kyle, the final girl, I guess, of this movie. I that's. <laughs> I actually was just looking at her IMDb page. Got to ruin all the surprises, Ali. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I I looked at like the first, like what she's known for, and I didn't see anything that I recognized from. I didn't look deeply into her. Oh, okay. Page into her psyche. Yeah, she was in nine hundred two one zero. She was also in ER. That's what I recognized her from. Which one? Nine hundred two one zero. Nine hundred two one zero. Straight Excellent. away. Excellent. The OG nine hundred two one zero. By the way, kids. The no. OG. I think she yeah. may have been. I could be wrong here for any of our nine hundred two one zero fans, but I think she may have been dating Steve Sanders. Nice knowledge. You can just say any name and I'll go with it. All I remember is Luke Perry. That's Sounds about right. It. Oh, and was Shannon Do- Doherty? She was from 90210. Yep. Big yep. fan. No, Christine Elise was in Body Snatchers, the 90s remake, which we've covered before. She was the bad girl who was the daughter of the army base general. 
Oh, the one who starts off very innocent and... Yep. Yep, 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 yep. Opposite uh. of this role. Well... Oh, no, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. She was the one, she oh, was, no, wait, she's basically the, the same I role. Think. She's the daughter of, yeah, yeah, of the general. So she's like the bad girl who's driving the Jeep around, leather jacket. It's basically oh, the same. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. There you go. I was thinking Allison's of the wrong just movie. Pretending. Got it. No, 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 I remember. <laughs> because she gets in the car and they act like they're friends and then you learn that they're not friends and that was weird. I remember her. Yeah, yeah, you, you weren't a big fan of that movie. <laughs> yeah. Go listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we've got quite a, we've got quite a few names um, in this film. But then again, no Oscar we, nominees. No, though. not exactly. Last time we had two sparring <laughs> Oscar nominated actors, so not quite the same caliber here. Now we're going to get into the story in a minute, but very quickly, there's a notable absence from this movie, which is Catherine Hicks, who was the mother in the original film. I don't know how many people were really eager to have her come back. She was going to be in this movie in a certain role that we'll get to. But I don't know if you guys came across this in your trivia searching. In During the original film, she began dating Kevin Yeager, who basically created the Chucky doll and was one of the lead puppeteer on all Chucky antics. And then they got married. And apparently, I believe they still are married to this day, which is nice. I mean, it's a miserable marriage, but they're stuck in it. What can you do? But <laughs> she was constantly on the set of this second film, bringing him lunch and stuff. And and, pe- and a lot of people didn't even know who she was. She was like, oh, yeah, I was, I was you know, in the first one. I was, I was in this. <laughs> basically the lead of the first film. <laughs> Must have been very weird. Okay, we got, yeah, I've got some other facts. We'll get to them as we go through. Ali, would you please care to start us off with the top 20 movies of 1990. And I'm, I love these films because they're in my era of, of childhood film watching. So. <laughs> so we've actually, we've done, we've gone through these before, I think on the Body Snatchers movie. Oh, was that the but same we, year? Well, do it again. Or it may have been Texas Chainsaw. <laughs> Alex hasn't heard it. We're doing it again because you probably haven't listened to all of these podcasts. So we're going to start at number 20 and work our way up to number one. Number 20 is Edward Scissorhands. Oh, Classic. Great. Yeah, back when Tim Burton was great. This made me fall in love with Winona Ryder for a while. <laughs> I'm not still in love with Winona Ryder. <laughs> it, it made me adopt Scissorhands. Ah. And, t- and take How's up that going for you? <laughs> Awful. Every time, you every chop time a lot you, of salads. <laughs> every time you fancy the girl, you, you just go and like cut her hedges and <laughs> make creepy yeah. little dioramas <laughs> outside her window. Exactly. Why doesn't she love me? Exactly. Why doesn't yeah, she did- love me? Okay. Well, good luck with that, Alex. Number 19 is Misery. Oh, cool. Ooh. Good Stephen King good film. Kathy Bates. Yeah. That's a rare good Stephen King film. 18, its remake is coming up, Flatliners. I think the remake came out and sort of sunk oh, it's already almost out. without a trace, which it shows how yeah. excited I was the to see it. Remake looked really bad. My manager's yeah, a huge fan of this original. The original is with Julia Roberts, Kiefer Sutherland. Yep, yep, yep. We used to watch this quite a lot when I was at boarding school. It was a good it's movie a cool at film. the time. It's probably not anymore, I don't know, but it was good at the time. Hmm. 17 is The Godfather Part 3. Oh, the worst of The Godfathers. The, the only one I haven't seen. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it in so long. But it... 
I would love to go back to whichever podcast we've read these out loud before and see if your comments are all the same, Al. The comments are exactly like the same. Are. <laughs> I feel that's oh, probably yeah. exactly what you said. I never contradict myself. <laughs> <laughs> you just go back like, the best of the Godfather movies. <laughs> oh, that's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> so going on to number 16 is Bird on a Wire. Mel Gibson, Goldie Horn. It's just like a funny caper kind of movie. <laughs> 15, Three Men and a Little Lady. Oh, the worst of the Three Men movies. <laughs> <laughs> Number 14 is another 48 hours. Okay. Eddie Murphy, Nick Nolte. More Eddie Murphy. Man, you're yep. filling in the gaps. I don't know these movies. 13, we have Days of Thunder. Yeah. I don't really Tom like Tom Cruise. Yeah, it's Tom Cruise. I don't really like it. 12 is Presumed Innocent. Oh, that was Harrison Ford, wasn't it? Don't know mm-hmm. it. Don't know that one. It was. Number 11 is Back to the Future Part 3. Oh, the worst of the Back to the Future movies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think. Com- well, All actually, some people threes. prefer it to I'm two. seeing a trend here. <laughs> Some people do prefer part three to part two, to be to be honest. But yeah, definitely not the best of the Back to the Future movies. I think we could all agree there. Yeah. Getting into the top 10, number 10 is Kindergarten Cop. <laughs> More Arnie. <laughs> the best Didn't of the Kindergarten Cops. <laughs> that, <last> is, <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Nine is Dick Tracy. Oh, this is oh a my fucked God. up movie. That's a really weird movie. <laughs> Very unique. I don't even know if you could get it. I think they banned it in all countries. <laughs> Really? No, it just disappeared. We went as a family to see this film. I may have mentioned this on a podcast before. And my only memory is is coming out of the film and the rest of my family being really upset that we had gone to see it. <laughs> it was so bad. I think that's an understandable reaction. It's such a weird film. People just go and Google Dick Tracy like the trailer. That's what you need to see. You're good. His chin. Number eight is Die Hard 2. Ooh, Rennie Harlan. Yeah, I quite like Die Hard 2. I like the snowy theme. Ah, oh, that's right. You do I was like trying to snow. remember which one Die Hard 2 is. Yeah, it's the plain one with the snow. Seven, we have Total Recall. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> I seem don't really... to kill a year for Arnie. <laughs> Six, we have The Hunt for Red October. Oh, that was a good film. I haven't seen that in maybe 20 years, but I remember that was like, that was such a big film that year. Sean Connery, Submarines, The Color Red. Yes. <laughs> Join me in my submarine. That's basically it. It's just a pencil you don't have to go seduction. see it anymore. Number five, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes, the first I remember one. going to see that. Ah, uh, yes. Yep. I'll tell you what, so Alex, when I was a kid, I was a big Turtles fan, but from the cartoon, I wasn't cool enough to be into the comics first. I liked the cartoon, mm-hmm. and then I went to see this movie, and it terrified me. Because it does have bits. <laughs> it kind of mixes the goofiness of the cartoon, but also with the darkness of the comics a bit. And then yeah. when the second one came out, that's pure cartoony goofiness. I way preferred the second mm-hmm. one as a kid. And it wasn't until I got older and went back to them. I'm like, no, the first one's clearly, clearly the better film. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was the same, obsessed with the cartoons. I think I went and saw this with my older sister. So I don't remember specifically being scared. But I think I remember having the same feeling as you when the second one came out because they had the those characters that were like Rocksteady in Bebop but weren't. Yeah, right? they messed up. Yeah. Like those other mutants and they were really cool. Casey yeah, Jones is awesome. really, really cool in the first one. Casey Jones is awesome. 
Yeah. Moving into number four, we have Pretty Woman. Oh, classic. Love this film. It is a good one. Top three. Number three is Dances with Wolves. And not, oh my goodness. Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner. <laughs> spoil us. Directing for the first time. You spoil us. <laughs> this, was, this used to be one of my yeah. favorite films when I was a kid. Dance with Wolves, Dead Poet Society. Great film. This was, I mean, going to Kevin Costner, these were really his golden years. Yes. Yeah. There was like Untouchables, sure. Dance with Wolves, JFK, and then Robin then Hood. Robin Hood, yeah. And then he went into The Postman and things started to go downhill, bit of Waterworld. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's done so many good films though he really has god bless him thank you Kevin Costner what are our top two uh, films in Ali? top two number two is Ghost ah ooh nah <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest I don't really remember any feelings about Ghost other than it was a huge deal everybody knew it I enjoyed it at the time but I, I don't know if it's actually good or not have you ever gone back to this film Alex I've never come back no, not really. I'm surprised. I thought Pretty Woman was a bigger film of that time, but yeah. Is it? Have you got the margin on those, Ali? Like the difference in gross? Yeah, Pretty Woman made 178 million, and Ghost made 217. Whoa, that's quite a jump. Even with yeah. inflation, though, can you imagine? That's the second biggest film of the year, 217 million. Like, think about that nowadays. Your second biggest film is going to be a billion dollars. <laughs> like, which is weird because we're in. Like one of the worst years ever for cinema ticket sales. So don't really understand how it all works. Anyway, what was the number one film then, Ali, of 1990? <laughs> number one is a film we talked about in our podcast last week, Home Alone. Oh, the first Home Alone, yeah? Yep. That's interesting. So I was reading a thing the other day. So Child's Play 2 it was talking about the parallels of Child's Play 2 with about a little boy in the 90s in Chicago and Home Alone is also in the 90s, a little boy in Chicago. Yeah, I was actually going to bring Same it year. up in this podcast. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I presumed Home Alone had just come out maybe a year before this or something. That I find they're out in the same year and could possibly, like Child's Play 2 could not have been influenced by Home Alone is actually quite a shock to me. <laughs> I was for yeah. sure this film was influenced by Home Alone. <laughs> <laughs> but no all right i'm gonna have to rethink some of my comments yeah. <laughs> great minds Turns think alike child's play 2 mavericks <laughs> 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 thank you very much ali that was fascinating you're welcome to us if not anybody else alex yeah you're sure the most genre specific list mm -hmm. we're going to look at some of the horror films that were coming out in 1990 to see where we're at. So last time we were in a fantasy world, weren't we? Yes, that's right. Are we still? We're only two what years would you later. Describe, I don't know how you describe this. You'd probably have a better sense than me. So first up, The Exorcist 3. Okay. Okay. Bad film. Going with our threes. Yeah. It's a lot of, yeah. Threes. Three's always, the, three's um, always a bad, bad one in franchise. Yeah. Oh, Is that great. a little foreshadow for the movie we have coming up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. We'll see. <laughs> Thanks for the spoiler, Al. We'll see. <laughs> Although, God damn it. I quit. We'll see. <laughs> we also have Bride of Reanimator. Okay. Yeah, I've never been a fan of the Reanimator films, personally, but yeah. One we mentioned earlier that was in the top 20, Flatliners. Graveyard Shift. Another Stephen King. Never heard of it. Gremlins 2, The New Batch. 
Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen the sequel to Gremlins. You've never seen the sequel to Gremlins? No. Oh, man. When I'm back in LA, we're watching some Gremlins. Christmas right. movies. Christmas movies. They were playing Perfect Gremlins when season. I was bowling the other day, like on the screens behind like the pins. It was very distracting. <laughs> Gremlins is genuinely a fantastic movie. The first one I loved to death. And mm-hmm. when I was a kid... What I was just saying about Turtles was the same for me with Back to the Future and with Gremlins. I preferred all <laughs> of the sequels to the originals as a kid, just because they were goofier, basically. And Gremlins 2 is really fucking way out there goofy. <laughs> it's really, really nice. just cartoonishly silly. Ah, oh, cool. Okay. This movie must be like a movie prequel to the the sort of early 2000s series with Hugh Laurie. House 5. <laughs> Am yes. I wrong? Oh, 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 right. <laughs> no, you're right. You're correct. A series of very bad horror films created by Steve Miner, who directed Friday the 13th Part 2 and 3, and then went on to do Halloween H2O, Lake Placid, and stuff like that. I think he created these ones. He definitely directed a bunch of them. I had no idea they went up to number five, to be honest. <laughs> I had no idea. Because the second one is called House is the first one, and the second one is called House, the second story. Get yeah. it? <laughs> Get it? Clever. Pretty smart. Clever. Give that person wow. a promotion. Next up, IT. Oh, sorry. It. <laughs> <laughs> that was very millennial of you. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, the original... It movie yep. with Tim Curry as Pennywise. Yeah, I like this actually. I went back to it recently and I think I think the first half works really, really well still. I think it stands up. The second half, not so much. But the first half, I think. Leatherface, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. And with no spoilers, higher up on Justin's, Justin's ranking of the entire Texas Chainsaw franchise than you'd expect. But yeah, we yep. just covered this in our previous franchise, so you can go check that out. Vigo Mortensen. There, yeah. That's all I'll Vigo. say. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> As Aragorn or yes. a different character? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and also as the character from A History of Violence, he kind of goes back and forth between us. Oh, wow. I like it. Wow. Talented man. Another one that was in the top 20, Misery, the remake of Night of the Living Dead. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Not, I mean, it was all right. It was all right. Tom Savini directed it, but it was okay. Right. Predator 2. Ooh, Awful. Very bad movie. <laughs> Not a number three. Danny, Danny Glover. Well, they didn't get to number three because of how bad number two was <laughs> until Robert yeah. Rodriguez bought it back in the noughties. Yeah. But there is a little Easter egg in there because the Predator, yes. spoilers here, has a skeleton of the Xenomorph from Alien. Yes, that's true. I love it when they do that. In a horror film. So you get to a sequel, it's like, well, no one cares anymore. Let's just throw in some weird... <laughs> yeah. Which, give us a couple of movies and we're going to be getting to a humdinger of that. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Psycho 4, The Beginning. I've never seen anything other than Psycho 1. Other than Bates Motel. So, I have no idea. Interesting to start the beginning at 4, but whatever. <laughs> Another third in a franchise, Slumber Party Massacre 3. I 
actually recently watched the slumber party man you know on last week's podcast i think it was i said i just watched the sleepaway camp movies well i just watched the slumber mm-hmm. house party <laughs> massacre movies too i actually really liked the first one the rest are really really atrociously bad but almost like you have to watch them they're so bad one of the killer has a, like an electric guitar he's carrying around and playing the whole time and it was shot about two blocks from where where i live in la and, and the houses are still there awesome there you go awesome and also i admire your strength to get through some of these film franchises <laughs> i don't know if admire is the right word but i'll take it <laughs> another third in a franchise prom night three the last kiss have you also watched this recently the prom nights i watched prom night one very recently actually. <laughs> oh, i also watched all the prom nights <laughs> Shut up. i actually have them and they're on my list to watch because i'm doing this fucking slasher list that i've been working on for two we years we believe you <laughs> And it's going to take me another year and a half, I think. I recently rewatched Prom Night 1. I haven't yet got to its sequels. Prom Night 1 is like, Harold is one of the best slasher films of all time. It was actually made the same year as wow. Terror Train. Uh, like, so Halloween, Jamie Lee Curtis did Halloween 1978. And then she did Prom Night 1980, I think it was. At the same year, she did Terror Train. So she had these sort of tri- trifecta of slasher movies. And people really hold Prom Night up in high regard. I don't like it. I don't think it's good. Although there is a fantastic disco dancing scene that goes on for, for just so long. For no Sold. reason. I'm in. <laughs> Jacob's Ladder. Yeah, this is... What's his face? The guy from Shawshank. Is that... Is it him? The guy from Shawshank Redemption? Tim Robbins? Yeah, I think so. This is a really classic horror film that actually was almost the sole inspiration for Silent Hill, the video games. Most oh. of their nightmarish stuff comes from Jacob's Ladder. It's more of a psycho, like a yeah, like a thriller with a lot of. It's a guy who's suffering from PTSD from Vietnam, and it's it's a good film. Cool, a Star Wars film that we haven't covered: Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. Ooh. <laughs> it took me a second to piece that together. I was like, "What? Oh yeah, <laughs> this was like the Tales from of the Crypt, wasn't it? Sort of knockoff, basically." I see. And finally, rounding out our list. Tremors. Oh, amazing movie. <laughs> like, simply amazing film. Lots of films called Lots of People. This was their favorite movie and they watched it every single weekend. Okay, there we go. Well, so- good for them. <laughs> <laughs> no one else cares about Tremors. All right. All right. So, yeah, I feel horror is a bit lost. Lots of sequels to bad movies, lots of sequels to good movies that then went very bad. And Tremors is one of the only sort of new properties in there, really. Like, new franchise starting. So where does that leave our little friend Chuck? Okay. Child's Play 2. As we said at the end of the last podcast, MGM got rid of the movie. There was a lot of controversy about it. They were then about to be bought out by a different company, whose name I forget, who were looking to make just family-friendly films because they're stupid and didn't want to make money. So they sold off Child's Play, Universal jumped on it and bought it straight away. And then in the frust- for the frustration of MGM, this company didn't end up buying them out. So they wished. But MGM still struggle now. They've never had a good horror franchise as a backbone for their company. Nearly every other company does. So yeah, Universal. The company that was going to buy them was called Kintex. Sounds like when you go onto one of those websites and you just press random for the name of your company. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that one. So yes, we have we start the movie with a Universal logo, and I immediately am happy because <laughs> this is my favorite <laughs> of the logos. <laughs> yeah, I was really happy with it too. 
I was like, oh, Universal, Jurassic Park, and for a quality time of entertainment, <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? But then we immediately get some very silly, overdramatic credit music, which you're kind of thinking, coming off the back from the first one, which was, I would say, and we argued about this, because we were like, are you meant to laugh with it or at it? And I for sure think you're laughing at the first one when you're laughing. I think the first one's trying to be pretty somber. It's definitely tongue-in-cheek with its commentary, but I think it was really concerned with trying to be a proper horror film. This one immediately, the tone for me is, we're going zany. Like, (laughs) we've adjusted all of the dials on how we're going to be approaching these films. Yeah, and then we start writing close on Chucky's eyeball. And the music's by Graham Ravel, who's a real staple of the 90s. He did fucking just everything, pretty much, in the 90s. And then we get a really weird, wonky title, just to back that up as well, where Charles plays written, like, out of whack with each other. Like, every letter's at a different height and angle and stuff. <laughs> For me, yeah, this is just very, very clear. We're in full-on horror schlock territory. Yeah, for me, it had, like, such nostalgia attached to it. Because as I said in the previous week's podcast, I think it was this one or the third one that I really remember as a kid. So as the moment that title came up and the two like slashed over child's play, I was just like, (laughs) 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 So this is more what you were looking, just from the opening anyway, this is more what you were looking for from the first one in terms of, yeah, we're a slasher film. Here we go. Let's just have some fun. Yeah, I think so. I think I, I had a better sense of what to expect and was sort of like ready for the ready for the ride i guess how are you right feeling ali in these opening moments i was kind of in the same boat i kind of wanted to go over the top and funny and i want like i said in the last movie i want chucky to be more over the top with his crudeness and his personality so yeah i was looking forward to that i thought the i like the eyeball and all the close-up shots of the burned face were pretty cool it made it it without seeing the eyeball first it would have taken a while to figure out what it was because it made it look so massive like it looked like a type of rock at some points to me but yeah i thought the opening was kind of cool yeah i like because okay so we're coming between them basically cleaning up chucky for at the moment and potentially the rest of the film inexplicable reasons <laughs> and, and basically resurrecting him from the end of the first film and we're intercutting that with this limo that's just driving through chicago waiting at train tracks and blah 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 which we then find out is the chairman presumably the chairman of the play dolls factory who make the good guys dolls i'm really enjoying all the stuff with them just cleaning up chucky it's definitely a different change in tone i don't need all the intercuts mm. with the limo though it makes you feel like something really big's gonna happen <laughs> that's yeah. somehow connected and it's like no it's just a guy getting out of his car to go to work it's really weird so yeah i would rather they just stayed with chucky this whole time but but yeah at the moment i'm just like why would you clean and rebuild a crime like a doll that's part of a crime scene that's been burnt up but they they try and give you the best explanation that they can (laughs) so the chairman comes in he's complaining to his assistant about bad press from the murders we're basically getting a recap of what happened before his assistant's called matson who's saying the mother is now in psychiatric help so we tidied her away so we don't have to think about her again from one sentence and the boy's been put in a foster home and then he says someone at the factory must have messed around with the doll and the good news is that they've managed to get hold of the doll and they've rebuilt it this is the good news (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and they arrive just as the doll's getting its eyeballs put inside it they seem to be i mean no 
I'm lost. I'm trying to find the words as to why they're doing this. Why are they doing this? Why is it good news? I can they, understand yeah. they might want to get it. I, I can understand they might want to get the parts back to check for a malfunction in the chip or something like that. But why would you clean it up and rebuild it and put to new latex it. on it? I don't understand. Yeah, it kind of makes it seem like point. these dolls are <laughs> super <laughs> rare. <laughs> When they're not, like we see each movie so far, we see like thousands of them. There are piles of them. They always fall on top of somebody. There are enough of them that they could just throw this one away when the investigation's over. So it's kind yeah, of yeah. Surely there's a way just a to check the- that they're trying to sell it on. I feel like I feel like they're trying to go on the assumption of we, we want to do tests on this doll, but I just feel all you do is but like reconnect the circuitry. And just check the circuitry. Yeah. You wouldn't need to like make it an articulated doll again. Yeah, check the recording. <laughs> if yeah. they think someone pre-recorded different messages on it. Like, no, I really like the cleaning part. And my initial feeling was, did it get into the hands of like some crazy collector or something like that? That was like my oh. first instinct. It would be like, oh, this would be cool if it's... But then, yeah, it's back at the the factory and it's being <laughs> completely refurbished. <laughs> To just check if it works, which is yeah, very bizarre. So yeah, they get there, they put in the eyeballs into... I mean, immediately as well for me, the dialogue's completely different. Everyone's really over the top and cartoonish and, you know, exaggerated. Just the sets straight away as well are very cartoonish, like huge colours. Yeah. The place where they're rebuilding this doll looks like like a six-year-old designed a surgery ward, you know? It's, it's like a Build-A-Bear, like, <laughs> like a Build-A-Bear workshop. <laughs> it's exactly like a Build-A-Bear workshop. It's very, very strange. They put the eyeballs in, and then when they do, so I'm just going to say what happens. We can then all try and give our own impressions of what's really happening. They put the eyeballs in, electricity suddenly comes out of Chucky's eyes, fries the factory workers, and kills them. And yep. then moments First later, kill. Yeah. So, what is happening here? Allie, what is your interpretation of these events? Chucky is evil. (laughs) (laughs) Case closed. That's it. (laughs) Okay, but is he... So, are we going with... Is this the curse of Chucky that is getting them? Is he alive and he electrocutes them or does the 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 mechanism malfunction electrocute him and then that brings him back to life frankenstein style and just happens to because of his curse sort of feedback to them or is there something else to that i was assuming he chucky was in control of the situation and killed the guys or guy yeah my initial feeling was that chucky had not been killed and that's so he was, yeah, in control of the situation. But then hearing you say the Frankenstein thing, I think that also makes maybe more sense. Because, yeah, that's- That he's, like, my, sparked back. Yeah, that's kind of what I got from it. Just because, like, I'm going with, okay, well, the end of the first movie, his voice clearly changes from Chucky back to regular doll. He's been allowed to be taken away and stuff. Like, he's dead, 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 for sure. And then they've cleaned him all back up. I kind of feel like, yeah, some his soul's still trapped in there somehow, but he's not really- active and the machinery sort of malfunctions and brings him back to life but then because he's chucky there's like a power surge and it takes them out but i really don't know it's definitely not clear <laughs> what's going on they're just like this would be cool we can we have electricity effects now in 1990 let's do this <laughs> let's use yep. them meanwhile andy is at a foster home and talking to a psychiatrist about how he's still dreaming about chucky so we get some much needed i guess exposition here from andy yeah (laughs) Um, 
<laughs> and the rules the rules when they come from Andy's mouth still don't sound any less dumb to me. <laughs> he has to spell out the whole well, you know, like there's this doll, it came back to, it came to life, he revealed himself to me first, so he can only put his soul into me and not into anything else, blah blah blah. But we get by it pretty quickly. Andy's not seeming as adorable to me anymore. I don't know about you guys. Those two years of fame have changed him. <laughs> He's broken. But I'm I'm still with Andy all the way. I wasn't okay. in the last film. I am right now. Okay. I was finding it harder. I don't know why. I wasn't finding him as cute. But yeah, he shouldn't be cute. Obviously, he's he's yeah. damaged at this point. Back at the toy factory, the chairman tells assistant to make the problem disappear. Which is how everyone should handle murder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he also tells the guy, the like head of PR or whatever he is, to stick the doll up your ass. <laughs> he does. He does. <laughs> Yeah, he's wonderfully over the top. And then at Foster Home, there's a couple who've adopted some children before and they're continued. Well, sorry, I say adopted, but I've I've had some yeah, in foster care, so fostering, which is different. They're considering to foster Andy, and the mother seems keen, but the father seems off put by the intensity of Andy's history. So the social worker what do you would you call him a social worker? I don't really know what you'd call the head of a foster home. Yeah, something like that. Okay. Yeah. Did you notice this at the end of the scene that the social worker like looks at the mother? She, she's talking to them and it's her last sentence and she looks at her watch midway through the sentence and then seems to lose her thread of what her line's meant to be. <laughs> it's really weird. It's like, I don't even know why she's looking at her watch. It looks like she suddenly thought, oh, it's nearly lunchtime on this day. Oh, and then start thinking now. about a sandwich. Take the and kid. gap before she finishes the sentence. And Lee then is just immediately whisked off home with his new foster parents. It doesn't seem to be any paperwork or, you know processing time or no I don't know. just take the kid yep he says that he likes eggs and he carries around a little frame of his mother and then they nearly crash into a play pals play toys truck because conveniently they're really hammering home this toy corporation is the problem now which i don't mm. really feel it was their fault in the first movie definitely not what happened but i feel like now that they've got a bit more power and control that these writers and now writer-director have, they're trying to get back to that original thing from Don Mancini of, you know, it's a satire on the consumerism of merchandise and toys and how they affect children and blah, blah, blah. Because they're very much, yep, this toy company is a huge central evil figure in this movie, which just seems strange to me. I don't know why. We already have Chucky. We don't need a big toy corporation as well. So then Andy gets taken home to his new foster parents' house, which is... We're out of Chicago now. We're in the suburbs, I presume. It does not look anything like the first film, which is in rain, sort of swept streets and dark and, you know, very much a city. We're more in Nightmare on Elm Street kind of territory. In a unbelievably cartoonishly coloured house. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yep. This, it's so bright, this house. It's crazy. <laughs> Is he meant to be an antiques dealer or something? Because he's just got loads of shit everywhere. Like when we get it to the basement like it later was her on. Stuff. Is it her stuff? I thought it was like they're a, both. Yeah, I thought it was a mix, whether they're dealers or just collectors. But I, I was under the assumption that it was a mix. But there is one particular fam- family heirloom that belongs to her. Yeah. yeah. Which, which Andy then painfully reminds the mother that she can't have children when he asks her, "Who are you going to pass it on to?" yes not much tact still with uh, dear old friend Andy yeah then the father says that he'll get used to Andy and Andy heads up to his room but he hears some cool music 
coming from a different adjacent bedroom. So he goes to take a look and it's Kyle, a young girl with short blonde hair, a leather cap, smoking. So cool kid. She says that she's never spent more than a month in any home. So she never really gets fully impacted. She just moves from place to place. And she looks like she's going to be... I vaguely remembered her from watching this 15 years ago or whatever, but she looks like she's going to be annoyingly alternative. But I have to say, as the film goes on, I'm kind of pleased they they don't make her like that at all. Like, she's actually yeah. quite a nice character. Yeah, I really liked her. I did too. Because you think, yeah, you get that impression that she's going to be like the bad girl and just counter everything the family says, but... Yeah, they play against that almost right away. Yeah, I thought she was going to be like that girl. I think in one of your recommended movies, uh, Freddy's Dead, that is similarly alternative. And then Freddy kills her with like with you remember when he gets the needles and all of her (laughs) needles. Oh, and all of her. What do you call it when you have marks for needles on your arm? Oh, like the what are they called? Track track marks. Is that marks? No. Tracks, yeah. that's it, tracks. Yeah, yeah. And, and they all turn into little holes and they have turned into little mouths and they open up to try and welcome. It's so fucking horrible. I thought she was going to be like that character, just wildly over-the-top damaged and alternative. And, and she's not. She's actually very likable. Then the mother asks Sophie for her help with dinner and Carl says that she's got to work because she'll be alone next year, so she needs some money. And that's pretty much the only context that we get for Carl, though, really, of what her journey is. And then... Uh, they take Andy through to his room, which he looks very happy with. There's lots of toys everywhere and a f- uh, weirdly wonky bed. Yes, wonky bed, a creepy blow-up clown toy, another yeah. creepy <laughs> jack-in-the-box, and other clown <laughs> dolls. They're, like, ramping it up in this one. They're like, we had a creepy jack-in-the-box in the first one. Let's just, like, put more creepy dolls and clowns <laughs> in his room. Oh, my God. Do you feel that's the way they could actually go? It's like, does Chucky have to be Chucky or can Chucky just be any possessed toy? You could just have like a different toy. Yeah. I would love to see Chucky as a jack-in-the-box and see him try and get around. (laughs) (laughs) He's just on a skateboard with like a broom (laughs) just pushing himself. But yeah, Andy seems pretty happy. And then he goes into his closet and pulls out a skateboard and accidentally knocks down a good guy's doll. Now... To her credit, the mother then apologizes and says she'll get rid of it, which is kind of nice because she does acknowledge in a horror film like this and kind of expecting them just to go, oh, what the fuck's wrong with you? It's just a doll. You're it's just a doll. <laughs> Stupid. But she does apologize. I really like the mother in this. Like she's, I can understand where she's coming from and what she wants and yeah, it's feel for her. But then again, she says she'll get rid of it and she, she just puts it doesn't. downstairs <laughs> where he's still going to be going. And also after yeah, like talking the to the woman from the like from foster care who the dad is so worried that he's had such a troubled past and clearly has a lot of issues with dolls because he's blaming according to uh, in their heads he's blaming death on this doll. So do you not yeah. think that they would get rid of every doll in his room regardless of what kind of doll it was? No, like completely. wouldn't they it's just stupid. give him like toy trains and cars and the skateboard and Legos and nothing with a face? <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's complete. <laughs> it's so this whole setup for me is so stupid. But I'm I'm buying into it because, like I say, like this movie started in front of music and the title screen. I was like, all right, I know what I'm getting. We're getting <laughs> a Looney Tunes version of the first movie, basically, and you've just got to kind of go with it. Again, in the hope that you're going to get either some scares or some fun, and that's going to be the question we get to at the end is like, are you scared at any point with Chucky? 
Meanwhile, back at the Play Dolls factory, the assistant's coming out and he's taking the Chucky doll with him. I don't know why. His car's full of toys. <laughs> Is he just... They're, they're all the toys that his boss told him to stick up his ass. <laughs> <laughs> just going he's one by one. He's up the courage. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, what's he doing with them all? Are they all toys that have killed people? And is he like, is he, why doesn't he just throw it straight away in the trash? Why is it in his car? I don't, I don't understand. Why would you resurrect it? Why would you keep it? Why would you take it home with you? I don't understand. But he's trying to put him in the boot and it won't shut. So then he chucks him in the back of the car and drives off. I don't know about you guys. I'm noticing a really, there's a weird use of super wide lenses in this movie. Everything looks quite fish-eyed. Oh, yeah. I didn't think of that. Yeah. It's like it's really, really wide. It makes people look looming a lot. And then when people are kind of the hands are near the camera, they're enormous. The hands are just so, so <laughs> big. <laughs> Which I guess is to accentuate the cartoonishness of it all, I presume. But this is where I was really like, there are so many weird shots like this. And then he rings up his presumably female friend called Gabriel. It's their two week anniversary. He forgot the vodka. So he stops off at the <laughs> liquor store because, you know, two weeks, vodka night. <laughs> That is the weirdest phone conversation. Yeah, he's he like, makes I a know what that like, does to you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there it is. That's the lie. <laughs> so weird. Yeah, I do love it. He's like, yeah, we've we've been dating for two weeks. Of course I know. Of course I know. <laughs> like, all right, bizarre. The main thing I got from this scene is he goes to the liquor store and then on his way in, he uses his fob on the car and it goes bleep bleep. And I was like, I wrote down, huh? Cars went bleep bleep in 1990. I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were still manually locking. And then we got our first proper movement from Chucky as he looks down at the car phone. And then we come back to Chucky as he's going through the assistant's briefcase <laughs> and using Andy's file to ring up the foster home, claiming to be Andy's uncle Charles. <laughs> <laughs> then he sets off the car alarm. I don't really know why. The assistant's gone into the liquor store. He's going to come back to his car. But Chucky's so impatient. <laughs> he has to set off the car alarm. I thought he was to trying to break out and off. didn't like think about the car being locked. Yeah, I thought uh, it just went off because he had locked the car and something was happening inside, which would have set uh, it off. Right. Okay. Okay, that makes more sense. Although, how he'd get there? Like, he does need the car. Like, he's not. It's not the most mobile of enemies. <laughs> no, but is is the assistant going there or in that direction? Yeah, but how how else is he? I mean, he's got to hold someone hostage. Why not the well, car? The that whole you're first in, you know? movie, he gets to lots of places pretty quickly. <laughs> That's true. Well, he's anytime using, well, characters he's show up, Chicago he's already subway. there. <laughs> Uber was not around in those days, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're not holding back from revealing Chucky in this one, <laughs> like in the first no. one. Yeah, no, no, build. Out. <laughs> no build at all. But I do find it interesting moving forward from here is, yeah, like obviously a lot of the tension comes from when he reveals himself to people. And then I think it's that balance of what works best on a horror point of view, but then what works best on the narrative point of view of why would he not just reveal himself straight away mm -hmm. to many, many people. So yeah, this is where he, he does. And I was really confused in this scene. So he takes the assistant hostage when he gets back in the car with this tiny little gun. And the assistant, I presume the assistant could see it was Chucky. And that his legitimate reaction to, oh, this doll is alive and taking me hostage was, Jesus, okay, what do you want? <laughs> he had no reaction of like, wow, a doll is alive in my backseat. He had but no now, reaction. 
Yeah, but Tamro. Okay, so Tamro, who was watched the first half of Charles Play One with me, he was watching the first half of this one with me too, and he said, "Oh no, I don't think he knows. I think he can just feel the gun against his head. So he presumes someone's broken in at this stage." With all the toys in his backseat. Interesting. I, there's no room don't for know. a human back there. <laughs> if not, if not, it is the worst reaction of anybody it in any is. film of all time. I think ever. that's what happened. <laughs> because he's literally just like jesus okay what do you want which even if what someone had broken him and put a gun against your head and he wasn't a talking doll you would still have a bigger reaction than that <laughs> agreed but it seems to be this happens all the time hey chicago in 1990 who knows you know who knows chicago chucky gets him to drive to andy's new home <laughs> and then we get some hey you wanted more chucky dialogue ali you're going to be getting a lot of it. Now park yeah. this piece of shit. <laughs> so one of our first Chucky lines. <laughs> so this, this car scene was very reminiscent of the first movie car scene for me. Like the, the action was... and the beats. Oh, yeah, Kind of, of mirrored. Yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah. There's, no, there's nothing with the groin, unfortunately. I wanted more groin horror. No, no under the seat. <laughs> no under the seat, groin stabs. There's a lot of, though, like, so he reveals his... His gun is actually a little water pistol, and then he uses a skipping rope to tie the assistant up, but then he gets a plastic bag to cover his face and suffocates him. And then we go back to POV of Chucky as he starts running through the rainy street and towards the house. Before the POV was used to build up tension, I think, because we hadn't seen Chucky, you know? Do you notice they used it a lot, and then once we really knew Chucky was real in the first film, they stopped using POV, mostly anyway? This time I feel they're just using it because you can't animate him running across streets and things like that at this stage. So it's like, let's just go POV. Yeah, because they I've noticed they they seem to have ditched the person in a Chucky suit in this. Maybe they haven't, but they've so it's certainly way more subtle and used less. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I will say that I think the animatronics in his face have come along leaps and bounds by this movie. Like it's a lot smoother. Yeah, big time. There's actual proper articulation going on there, and it's no, it's a lot more impressive of a doll. And yeah, I, I think you're right. Like there's much less people in suits and masks and stuff, and trying to keep it more down just the the animatronic. So the mother's reading Andy a bedtime story, and yeah, Andy says he misses his mother and asks if he'll ever see her again. And the new mother says she'll stay with him uh, that he will, and she'll stay with him as long as he wants. Then he asked her to sing for him. So this, for me, was the first slightly creepy scene. And I really do like this shot a lot. So you get the mother. We're, we're in the corridor upstairs. You can hear the mother start singing this creepy song. Because <laughs> they always just sing creepy songs to kids in horror films. And then we start panning across. And then we pan to the stairs. There's all these cool shadows that are illuminated by the storm that's going on outside. So the lightning keeps flashing. And then the music starts to echo what she's singing, which I thought was really nice. And then we pan mm-hmm. down and Chucky's just standing there at the bottom of the stairs. Mm-hmm. I thought this was a really cool shot and a really cool moment with both sound and visuals. I liked it. Yeah. Agreed. It's the only time I felt any creepiness in this movie as well. Like everything else has just been silly up until this point. This is the first like, okay, there's, there's still going for a little bit of creepy, creepy. And then Chucky sees the other good guy's doll, which he hasn't chucked out, as she promised she would. And so he beats it up. Andy thinks that he hears something, and the mother tells her to go to sleep. And then we cut to, uh, to Chucky outside using a toy spade to dig a hole. <laughs> as he's burying the doll laughing. Seems like a weird thing to do. Do you think it's just because it's one of his own? He feels like you deserve a proper burial or something. 
Yeah, I mean, where else would he him, throw it though? Throwing him in the trash the can, evidence, right? You literally do what I do with spiders. You chuck it over the heads to the neighbors. They can worry about it. <laughs> That's true. I mean, there is something very funny about him using that toy spade, though. Yeah, it would take you like 20 hours to take a grave with a little <laughs> toy plastic spade. But it's raining, I guess, so it's wet ground. Yeah. The next morning, the father's all upset because the parent statue was found broken. Sorry, yeah, Chucky accidentally broke the statue, I guess we should say. That's what he uses to break the face of the doll. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The kids claim that they didn't do it, so the father grounds both of them. Carl has a date, so she's momentarily pissed off. And again, I'm worried she's going to turn all surly, but she doesn't. She's still sympathetic and likable. I really like this bit. I don't know if you guys have a note of this, but when Andy's like, they're talking and then Andy says, do you want me to hear me say your name backwards? <laughs> and then yes. he just turns around with his back to her and says her name. <laughs> Kyle! <laughs> yeah, that was funny. That part was cute. And then I also... <laughs> I also got having my notes, ha ha, smoking, when she like asked him to hold the cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> and then his little, little kid takes a <laughs> This is really weird. So she gets him to hold a cigarette. It's like, why would you get him to hold a cigarette? She's and then doing he laundry. just smokes it. <laughs> and she tells him that it tastes like shit and it's bad for you. And he says, well, why do you get to do it? And she says, because grownups get to make bad decisions, basically. Yeah, really. I mean, it's a weird moment, but I like this scene quite a lot. I like the dynamic yeah. between the two of them. I like them together. Yeah. They're they're cool. They have a fun relationship. And it's I think Andy's yeah cute again in these scenes. You know, he's he's playing. I still think he's he can at times play it in this adult way, which is interesting and quite honest to how children are, which I like. So they did a laundry together, and then Andy says that Mr. Simpson's kind of grouchy, and Carl says he's not that bad, which sort of kind of broadly implies she's had you know bad run-ins before with previous foster parents so mr simpson tells his wife that he's not happy with the whole thing and andy overhears them talking and the mother says that she likes him and i really like this as well sorry no i was gonna ask is that when the dad says that they should give him valium does he say that (laughs) yeah he's (laughs) she's like what should we do and he's like we should give him a valium or something (laughs) like that (laughs) well he's already smoking so why not yeah. <laughs> chase that with Take a little the Valium? Next step. Yeah, Andy then. I realize this because Andy's listening in. Again, it sounds like a lot of credit to give them because I don't want to say this is great writing, but I do think Don Mancini understands little kids well and writes them more intelligently than almost like than so many films that I see. If he listens into them saying bad things about him. This would normally just be, a, oh, okay, he's a kid. He hears bad things. He gets all upset. He runs away, whatever. No, what he does is how can I win them over how can i get their love back oh they think that i'm all upset about this doll so he goes over to the good guy's doll not realizing of course chucky has now taken his place says i hate you it (laughs) says i love this moment and then chucky replies with hi i'm and it pauses tommy because the other doll's name was tommy yeah but there's a nice little pause as he's thinking oh fuck what was what was (laughs) was the doll's name i didn't realize before as well these dolls had separate names we're learning here that each of these yeah. dolls have their own name, which would be a nightmare for manufacturing because <laughs> you've got to program in a different audio chip on every single one. <laughs> they probably have like five or ten names, Max. Okay, good thinking. Good thinking. They're very rare. There's not many dolls. That's true. They are precious <laughs> quantity. <laughs> yeah, Andrew sort of replicates the first film by checking for the batteries, but he does have them in him this time. And so he takes the doll with him to go and basically prove to the father that he's okay. So he walks over and looks at him, says hello, makes sure they sees that he's got the doll, and then walks off. And I really, I really love this. I think that's such a smart way to write how he would deal with that situation. 
rather than the normal shit that we'd get with a kid. <laughs> mm-hmm. So then Andy's outside. Yeah, he's on a swing outside that's over the grave of the Tommy doll. Carl's gardening, doing her chores. She says her dad left before she was born and her mum put her up for adoption before she was three. And Chucky's just sitting on the chair in the background watching them over the grave that he dug. <laughs> and at- with a very obvious patch of dirt. Yes. And at the time, I'm thinking, this is really weird that they're drawing so much attention to this, to the grave that he dug. Like, it's, it doesn't seem like it's going to be important at this point, obviously. And they're just slowly just panning in on it to really make sure you, <laughs> you understand. <laughs> and then Andy goes to go inside, but he does go back for Chucky. Uh, so, I, like I said in the previous scene, I'm liking that he went to get Chucky to prove to the parents that he's not, you know, that he, there's hope for him. But I don't, I don't know if I'm buying that he would keep carrying Chucky around with him constantly. Like, it, yeah, the emotional scars would be so deep. I feel it's something you might do once or twice as a token gesture. Yeah. But yeah. Or take it to your room and then hide it somewhere else. I mean, they have him play a slight sort of hesitation there because I think it's Kyle who's like, hey, don't forget your good guy's doll. And he sort of turns around and looks at it for a brief moment and then yeah. grabs it. Yeah, that's But yeah, true. I get what you mean good eye articulation good mouth articulation here he is like his mouth looks like he's making the syllables he's actually saying unlike the first film and he begins to the incantation and then carl suddenly appears through the window and and <laughs> i was just me and Tam- tamaris to hear at this point we're just dying with laughter in this scene <laughs> of andy just tied up on this bed with a sock in his mouth no real, like, no real questioning about how did that happen to you. She briefly says it later on, but it's like, you couldn't physically do it. Yeah. Like, how <laughs> did no you do that way. to yourself? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and then to make it even worse, the parents then walk in, seeing Kyle stooped over him. <laughs> and he's all tied up. It yep. looks fucking dodgy as fuck. And then Andy tries to warn them about Chucky, but they don't yeah. listen. And that's it. You just breeze on from this. <laughs> this absolutely impossibly alarming scene (laughs) but he is wearing cool dinosaur pajamas that's what matters did tan wait so what do they do with chucky after that scene so the father takes chucky because he's trying to convince them about chucky so he takes oh that's right puts him in the basement he literally he he takes him down the stairs he says look don't worry we'll get rid of him chucks him down the stairs to the basement and goes see gone (laughs) don't have to worry about that anymore (laughs) i threw it 10 feet away (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but then we see bloods coming from Chucky's nose and he's like, no, I'm turning human again. So a little bit of trivia here. Both of these films take place over three days, apparently. I do feel the process here of him turning human is a lot quicker than in the first film because he starts panicking here pretty soon. Yeah, and then we get one of those cool B-movie Hollywood lighting changes when they flip the switch off in the basement and it goes from lights on to moonlight and it's <laughs> such... <laughs> I've rarely seen it that abrasive where it's like yellow light and then it goes off for a second and then the blue light switch on for the moonlight. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I want to ask you guys at this point in the movie, we're like halfway through the movie. We're well into like stuff happening. Does this feel like Andy's movie still? Or do you feel like it's going to turn into Kyle or it's going to turn into, you know, the family? The mother was a big part in the last movie. Is the mother going to be a big part here? For me, it still feels like Andy's movie. There's definitely at this point, like we're up to at the moment, there's a sense of like, is Kyle going to be that final girl type character? I'm already starting to feel that, but I still feel much, feel that's very much directed at Andy. And there's like bits that I, there's a bit later on that I think I wrote it down, 
but I'm also getting this like I like the play of of like again so that they play with it in the first one with is it Andy doing this and in this one it's like does he just have issues like are these just his again and like and then it even kind of branches off I'll bring it up when I see it in my notes of like is he a cursed kind of child as well like is is it just bad luck is attached to him kind of thing there was a slight play of that which I started to like but yeah very much Andy's story for me at this point yeah, I'm in the same boat. I definitely think it's Andy's story. I'm not assuming that Kyle's going to die just because she does have that strong character, final girl kind of tropes. I am assuming at this point that one or both of the parents might die of the foster parents. I'm kind of hoping that the mom sticks around just because I like her. I think she's really sweet with Andy just to kind of fill that type of position. But then later on in the movie, it's pretty clear why she decides to not keep Andy around anymore. My main problem up until this point is still that I think Andy doesn't handle the intense scenes very well, which he's a kid again. But like when the doll first falls out of the closet, his like yell is ah, and he like turns around and walks away. <laughs> and I just like I wish they had found a way to get him to like, like you don't have to scream. You can have like a big gasp and a bigger run than a scream. Like it, not everybody mm-hmm. yelps the way you yelp in classic horror movies. But I wish they had tried to get a different sort of reaction out of him because it's, yeah, it kind of distracts me and just makes me giggle. You wanted to genuinely scare children on set a little bit more to get some more accurate yeah, reactions just like put a real person in there and scare the shit out of them and <laughs> yeah. then you'll get a real reaction just put freddie in oh there oh my god <laughs> <laughs> yeah freddie that'd be cool yeah i mean it's hard with these films isn't it when it's like when it is a kid you always give them extra leeway for sure you credit them a bit more when they're doing well and you it's, you give them a bit more benefit of the doubt when they're not doing so well yeah he's not amazing but when he works he really works but i do agree with you with the high tension stuff he's it's not as great but I have no idea how you get a good performance out of a kid with that stuff. But yeah, with a movie like It, they did it, but they were a few years older. I think that's just extra few years. Like he's very young. Yeah. I mean, he's two years older, obviously, here than he was in the first one. The first one, he's really young, but he's still young here. And it's t- it's tough to get. Yeah. From, I think just those extra few years would change that a lot if they had made this film later. So yeah, the next morning and Carl's giving Andy advice as he's on his way to school, on his first day at school. I know you notice when he gets onto the bus, we like pan by all the kids, and then there's one little kid who just pushes him. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't notice that. I just wrote down, little kid who pushes Andy on the bus. Fuck him. (laughs) Because he's just a little fucker. He should have died. (laughs) Fuck that kid. Horrible face. And then the bus drives away, and we see Chucky's little legs crawling up into its undercarriage. Which actually, this one for me was like, that's quite an impressive shot. I don't know how you do that. It looks really stupid, but I don't know how you do it. I also, what confused me about this is Chucky, the last thing he says to Andy is, next time you're alone. So, like, I can't kill you right now because Kyle's climbing in the window. So, he gets on a school bus and follows him to school (laughs) where it's full of people. (laughs) That makes no sense. And you're absolutely right. But here's the thing. Like, a lot of the elements for this script were from the original draft of the original Child's Play. Like, the very first one that he wrote. When we talked about it a bit in the previous podcast... But this is one of those. So the whole school thing was from the first script. 
This is meant to be Andy right, when he was at school. Yeah, originally the teacher kill that we're about to get to. And it was back when Chucky was more about a malevolent part of Andy's psyche killing the people who were causing trouble to Andy in his life. So yes, I like to think in the original film that little shit who pushed him on the bus would definitely get it. But not here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so we do have this weird sort of mess of, well, it's a sequel, but I also want to go back to that stuff I didn't get to do for my original script and put it in here. And some of it feels forced. Some not so much. We'll get to another bit later on. Yeah, so Andy's at school and Chucky's looking for something in the empty classroom, but we're not sure what. And then they're in lesson and they're teaching Pinocchio. Also, when we go first to the school, it cuts straight to a shot from the bus to Andy throwing a ball against the fence. And then they keep that audio of the ball banging against the fence as they do this like slow montage through the yeah. school and it just goes forever it does it goes. at first i was like oh that's a cool bold decision but then it just keeps on going and keeps on going i was like did they forget to <laughs> take it out <laughs> yeah because yeah the first shot with the, the bulls coming at the camera i was like oh that's kind of bold for this film it's kind of a cool shot and then yeah really hammer it yeah. home <laughs> got an idea let's carry it through for five minutes yeah, they're teaching Pinocchio, which is very staple. This is when I feel like we're in a slasher film because we're in a classroom and Halloween started this trend and it's been echoed for decades now in slasher films. You're in a classroom and you have a teacher teaching you a classic novel or parable that has some relevance to the horror that you're in right now. And Pinocchio obviously has a lot of relevance to Charles' play. I don't know if I misheard this as well because Tamro didn't hear it. I heard a kid when he's when he's in the classroom, turn around to him and say, get lost, microchip. <laughs> Which I, I thought was the best insult. <laughs> such a ni- like such a 1990s insult. Fucking microchip. <laughs> so good. I do not remember that. That's I funny. don't either. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go back and double check on that one, but I'm pretty sure. And then we see Chucky wrote, fuck you, bitch, on Andy's coloring page. So the teacher holds him back after class. Which is hilarious. Yeah, yeah. The teacher's already being a dick to him for no real reason. He's a new kid. Yeah, which is something I hate when teachers do in films. And they're just like the unnecessary disciplinarian, like picking the new kid, being like, are you talking while I'm talking? I don't care if this kid bullied you. Shut up. And they just like hammer that home of like, I'm going to be the your nightmare for no reason (laughs) well she has to be so then we can have her dead yeah i mean it makes sense for her to act that way after she sees fuck you bitch that would make sense yeah completely but But before that she acts this way before she sees that my housemate carter walked into the room was like hey what are you watching just as that fuck you bitch came up (laughs) on the screen (laughs) a little classy movie (laughs) (laughs) just a, a good old romance so she holds him back off the class. He blames Chucky. So she takes uh, Chucky away. I like this, though, because he blames Chucky. So you think they're going to do some contrived thing of, well, you're going to have to sit here and look at this doll and blah, blah, blah. But no, she takes the doll, throws it in the closet and locks it in there. But then locks Andy in the classroom, which I don't feel you'd be allowed to do nowadays. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. What 90s. the hell? <laughs> The fire uh, in my notes, I wrote, back in the day when a teacher there's still a bunch of yeah, other toys in- <laughs> go ahead that's it no i was just I, my notes i just wrote back in the day when a teacher could lock a kid in a class unsupervised yeah no completely <laughs> <laughs> but she pulls chucky away and is like don't even think about playing with toys and locks chucky up there is still an entire cabinet full of toys. So then she locks him in the room by himself instead of monitoring him to make sure he's behaving. 
or doing what a teacher should do, which is watch your students. <laughs> There's one thing this series is teaching me, Ali, is that kids in the Child's Play universe only want to play with one one type of toy, and it is a good guy's doll. That is it. <laughs> it never goes out of fashion. Everybody loves him. Always around. Always around. So it's cool shot, very typical horror. Andy Pierce through the keyhole. Chucky's right there, his eyeball looking back. And then he's like, I promise I won't kill anyone else. <laughs> And then very quickly turns to, let me the fuck out, you little dick. <laughs> Are you sated, Ali? You're getting your Chucky verbiage yes. that you wanted. I'm having a lot of fun with Chucky. Because <laughs> yeah, he says, and he might increasingly as we go through the series, he says some, some, yeah, some lines that are not that PC. <laughs> Agreed. We'll get to some, maybe. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I have a note down. <laughs> <laughs> Andy climbs out the window, the teacher comes back in and hears the closet door rattling, so she presumes obviously it's Andy, goes to check inside, can't find him. So many clothes in this closet. Mm-hmm. I don't, there Just are, this teacher. There are a lot of naked and cold children leaving her classroom. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a whole bunch in there. Chucky though stabs her with a football pump. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. it looks like some sort of Air. pretty yeah inventive and then he beats it to death with a huge school ruler and it's kind of a cool shot when you see him walking towards the camera and we're panning back and he's just sort of he's yeah he's like got the ruler and just slapping it against his palm yeah is this more alex is this you, you have a slight smile on your face is this more the chucky that you were wanting and expecting from this series yeah like at this point i'm i'm totally on board i'm enjoying it there's a point coming up when it is the like the tr- the moment for me when I'm like this is what I wanted from the first one. We're not quite there yet, but at this point I'm already like that kill was really cool and I'm 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 enjoying it. I'm having fun. Good, good. I'm glad. I've written down there's no one found the assistant yet who was suffocated in the car park. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Is that drawn no attention because it was just around the corner from the kid's house, so I feel the neighborhood would be talking about this dead body that was found nearby. But Okay. Meanwhile, back at home, Andy tells his parents what happened, or his foster parents what happened. They don't believe him, so the father gets Andy to open the door to the basement. Chucky must be exhausted, because he's becoming a Jason here. He's like wherever he needs to be, whenever he needs to be there. (laughs) And Chucky somehow managed to get home. Yeah, I don't know how he got there so quick. He's just lying there on the floor. He knows, oh, this is what's going to happen. I better play dead. So Andy looks like a wacko. And then the parents fight, and Andy listens to them from the next room, and I like this moment as well because Carl hears what they're saying and comes through to comfort him. Yeah, the dynamic's just really great between these two. It's cool. And she tells him every time that she gets sent away, she becomes stronger. And Andy says, well, it doesn't matter because wherever he goes, Chucky will find him. Which seems to be true. Because <laughs> there's, yep. there's always a briefcase. Mm-hmm. Oh. He's got a microchip on him, that kid knew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's nighttime. We're in Chucky POV. He's going from drawer to drawer until he finds an electric turkey carver. But wait! It's not Chucky. They psyched you out. It's Andy. This is a cool moment. I really like this. Because he genuinely thought, oh, here we go. It's more fucking POV Chucky. Nope. Andy equipping himself (laughs) with an electric turkey cover. Did they get you with this or did you guys guess? No, I knew it was Andy. God damn, you smart boy. (laughs) I think I thought it was Chucky (laughs) at this point. I 100% thought it was Chucky, but hey, if you listen to our Leatherface film, I was conned by something in that movie for the entire <laughs> thing, so apparently I'm stupid. So he heads down to the basement, but Chucky, of course, is gone. 
Now, I have to, like, think of Chucky's brain set. He's already thought to go back and lie down and play dead. And now he's thought, instead of going, oh, it's nighttime, this is the perfect time for me to go and try and possess Andy. He thought, no, I'm going to hide out in the basement because I know Andy's going to come to me. That seems to be what's going on because he's just hanging out, waiting. Yeah. Yeah, he's waiting. We have a great jump scare here for the audience because something falls down in front of Andy's face. Music blares, but Andy, unfazed. (laughs) Yep. Unfazed. Until, until he's walking toward the washing machine, looking at the washing (laughs) machine, walking toward it, turns around, bumps into it, and is frightened that he bumps into the washing machine. Yeah, (laughs) that's he didn't see it there. (laughs) Just jumped out of nowhere. It's crazy. These are the problems that I have. (laughs) When he's terrified of washing, it's fair enough. This basement is insane. (laughs) There's it's creepy. Creepy There's so much stuff going on down there. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah, Chucky then jumps on him and does the Chucky thing, which is bitey bitey. Because again, he can't do much else. This is an inherent problem with these movies. <laughs> Chucky can't do much but he bite people. He seems to be yeah. unusually strong, though, for a doll, which I don't understand. Well, he's a you like know. Everyone see anytime Chucky gets on your neck or anything, he seems like how could a doll have the strength to choke a guy in a car with rope? He's a vicious or little boy. Whatever, break cords that. You thought it was. Given it the benefit of the doubt that he has. If these, que- if these questions were answered, <laughs> Ali, we'd have no franchise. That's true. <laughs> That's true. It's just a weak Chucky comes back. He just keeps coming back to life, but he can't do anything. He's just completely useless. <laughs> I feel uh, you got to give it a credit. Like, there's voodoo magic going on. Maybe he's super strong through the voodoo magic. He at least has Charles Lee Ray's strength, mm-hmm. but in a small body, I feel. I don't feel the proportion is the same. I think it's he's oh, Charles yeah, Lee Ray sense. in the Chucky body. The father upstairs hears something. He's also in great pajamas. And he's... Yeah. Yeah, sorry. No, gonna... no, no, please. Because I think you're going to say what I'm going to say. No, I was just going to say that it cuts to him. And the action is that he thinks he hears something. But it cut... when it cuts to him, it's like he's already in thought before the thought comes. He's sitting <laughs> in this really weird position. And me and Tamara are like, what? How's... Why is he sitting in that position? And I said to Tamara, you know what position that is? That's the position when you've done eight takes. And you're like, I can't be bothered to get back into bed fully for this one. So I'm just going to be like half in, <laughs> half out. It's really strange. So then Andy soars into Chucky's head and the father finds him with the cover. This is a great moment, I think. <laughs> the father opens the door and Andy's just standing there with his little electric turkey cover buzzing away. <laughs> They've got to tie this in. I don't know why they haven't tied this in to Texas Chainsaw Massacre yet. Andy could be Leatherface. <laughs> this is the start of Leatherface. This is oh, starts with a turkey carver. All slowly these, gets bigger. All these Chucky films. Someone are just needs the to make that happen. Leatherface. That's fantastic. Yeah. Like it. Like it. More plausible than the actual Inceptions of Leatherface that we get in the Texas Chainsaw. Films. <laughs> <laughs> and then Chucky trips over the father. We get quite a painful kind of, like, he's hanging upside down, and he reveals himself completely to the father. This is becoming a quick staple for me with the series, which is that the satisfaction you get as the audience whenever Chucky reveals himself and Andy is vindicated as not crazy. Like, you Mm -hmm. see? Yeah. But they normally only see (laughs) for a few seconds. Yeah. Can I just say that dad's makeup when he's hanging upside down before he's killed was really weird and jarring. Like, he had this pale vampire makeup yes. <laughs> yeah. did you notice did. that it's so weird it's, uh, 
It's like they painted him like he'd already been dead for days or something. It's he's just really white yeah. and sweaty. They just forgot to film this part, and they're like, "Let's just throw it in there." <laughs> <laughs> so weird. But then Chucky pushes him, breaks his neck, and then yeah, Carl turns up and says, "I'll call an ambulance." Like, yeah, good idea. The mother starts wailing and blames Andy immediately. I do like this turn as well. I've been sympathetic for the mother so far, understanding her, and then she blames herself for convincing her husband to keep Andy around. Yes, this is the bit where I was talking about before where I got a sense because of how she plays that reaction to Andy. I like that shift where it's like Andy is the issue. Like he's like this almost like cursed child. And yeah. I loved, I I really liked that theme kind of coming into it. Yeah. Yeah, it feels more what- Of like people's perspective on Andy was cool. Yeah, and I guess that's how you're doing it here because in the first one we're drawing out you know when is chucky gonna reveal himself is he really chucky and blah 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 and in this one well we know there's a chucky so instead you have to reveal more people blaming andy and building that tension of when are people gonna realize this isn't andy and this is something else that's going on so it's a different type of tension build and i think it's in many ways closer to what don mancini wanted with his original script so the mother's in shock carl's helping to pack andy's stuff as the social worker comes to collect him andy warns carl that chucky's still in the cellar just his jeans by the way that's all they're packing (laughs) well it's like the first movie that's the present he got from his mom so that's all he has that's his only (laughs) belonging is that one pair of jeans she gave him in that big box and then we get because it seems to be a tradition with child's play let's see if this keeps happening shall we more absolutely ineffectual cops <laughs> who turn up at this scene and the lines that we get them saying is we'll be out of your way in just a minute did anyone except for the boy witness the accident no okay let's go <laughs> that's it excellent <laughs> that's our work here is done i just like how they start again like they did we're saying you're saying ali in the first film we'll like oh don't worry we'll be out of your way in a minute this is just a crime scene <laughs> Like, you should stay there until you're done collecting everything. <laughs> you don't need to get out of their way. Do this, your job. I really want this to continue. I want ineffectual cops in every child's play movie. <laughs> just horrible cops. <laughs> yeah. just If they could just, like, progressively get more and more inadequate, that'd be great. I forgot to mention earlier that the death of the foster father was the fourth kill. Oh, thank you. So we've equaled, we've equaled Child's Play 1's tally. Can more die? Will it go beyond? It'd be a very dull movie if it didn't. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so Carl throws Chucky out in the crash and then goes to have a smoke on the swing set and accidentally uncovers the Tommy doll with his face bashed in, which he very quickly then puts together and decides to go back to the trash bin to check in on Chucky. But he's gone. She panics. There's a sound from Joanne's bedroom, the mother. So Carl gets a blade, goes upstairs to check. So now is the first point in the series so far where I feel, yep, we're in a slasher film. <laughs> we have a teenage girl. Andy's out of the picture. Much like the first movie. They get rid of Andy at some point. Yeah. We've transitioned over. Instead of to his mother, we're a teenage girl now. She's walking through a suburban house. She's got a blade. She's heard a noise upstairs. This is like just slasher trope territory. And I'm thinking it's kind of smart at this point. I didn't actually really see it happening. I was like, okay, you you actually might be transitioning fully from Andy to Carl here. I didn't know. I couldn't remember. It'd been a long time since I'd seen the film last. I thought potentially we're not going to see Andy again. That's genuinely what I thought. 
Maybe they're just going to take him away. Mm-hmm. And now mm-hmm. we're with Kyle. And they've used Andy as a good platform for us to get on board with Kyle. And she'll be our protagonist for the next like two films or something. It's not what happens. But at this point, I think I do think it's smart how they've allowed us. I like Kyle more than the mother from the first one. Like when we're handing batons yeah. over to our lead, I'm happier it's Kyle. She goes upstairs. We can hear a sewing table, uh, a sewing machine running. I don't know about you guys. I was so disappointed with this. We hear the sewing machine going. We see Joanne sort of sitting at the sewing table. And then she goes to check her. And she's just kind of like, again, they've slapped on some white makeup. They sort of bandaged her up a bit with some blood. I don't really know what happened here. And I was expecting this cool sewing machine death. Yeah, for sure. My expectation was that a part of her would be sewed, like her hands or her lips or something like that. It doesn't seem very chucky. She just had, what was it, a bit of material through her mouth? I don't even know. Which it then was around her neck and she'd been strangled with? Was that the kind of implication of that yeah, kill? Yeah, she'd have been gagged and there was another bit of rag and just a bit of blood. Like, it was definitely the worst kill of the movie. And <laughs> yeah, the biggest it point. wasn't very messy. Fifth kill. Fifth Bing. kill. And they really build to it. That's the problem. Like, they really, really build to this. There's a long, yeah. protracted scene of her walking towards it, and the sewing mm-hmm. machine's this cool sound element, and then the reveal is like, oh, I don't even know actually what happened, to be honest, but it's definitely yeah. underwhelming. Yeah. Yeah, I really liked that doorway shot of her just sitting there. The In front of the machine. Light, yeah, and the light on the desk on, and then just the sound. The yeah. Like, that cool. was cool. Yeah. It looked so cool. Like, yeah, really, it's a missed um, opportunity for sure. But yeah. And then Chucky appears because he was hiding under a white sheet. <laughs> so he comes out from this white sheet and starts doing his bitey thing again. So Carl hits him over the head with a lamp and he trips her over with a really stupid shot where his hand just comes out to trip her over. And it's really dumb, but I appreciate it. That's a hard shot to film, probably. And then we basically just cut to him holding a hostage in a car, which seems to be a reoccurring theme of these films as well. <laughs> but there's also, I wrote, Driving with Kyle... A bit of banter. <laughs> yeah. <Just a> little- <laughs> there is. Carl- They're just like having this normal kind of conversation. Carl has adjusted yeah. very quickly <laughs> to the realities of Chucky. I feel like she's dated guys like this, so she's used to it. <laughs> yeah, he's holding a hostage in a car. They head to Andy's foster home. Chucky tells her about the rules so she can be on board with everything that's going on. Just so oh, you know. Can I just rewind? Here's the lowdown. Can I just rewind quickly? Sure. A bit that I thought looked really cool was when the police officer stopped them and Chucky was in his good guy's normal persona. And then seamlessly, the animatronics went back into Chucky face. And it was like, it just caught me by surprise, like how seamless the, yeah. and good the animatronics looked at that yeah, point. Yeah, and it's, it's off to the side as well, isn't it? You could have missed it, but it's this really nice little transition. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's true. Yeah, yeah. That, so the cop yeah, pulls him over and, yeah, and says, what's your name, buddy? And then he just says, Chucky. But then his nose is bleeding. And then she says, you've seen dolls that pee? Well, this one bleeds. Which is true. I don't know if they still <laughs> do it. But back when I was growing up, they had dolls that peed, dolls that could get pregnant, dolls that had a heartbeat. Like, they were just all seen. fucked up stuff. I have not seen dolls that can get pregnant. Yeah, we had ones that, like, got pregnant back in the days. And then you'd take the baby out. But it was like a cesarean birth because, obviously, you couldn't do it the natural way. Very I didn't weird. Do- oh, my God. <laughs> And didn't you say out that one of the sort of previous ideas for the original was that Chucky was a latex doll that could bleed? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that was the original in- inception of this. I really do feel Don Mancini 
for better or for worse, is rinsing his original script dry of ideas <laughs> before he's got to come up with anything new. And the whole stuff to do with the foster home, apparently that was given to him by a producer as well who suggested that. So he doesn't, he didn't get really credit for that. Yeah. So then Andy, he's waiting until he's put to sleep in the foster home and then he jumps into action. I'm not sure what his plan exactly is because it does get interrupted. I don't know if he's just going to run away or if he's intended to go back and finish the job. But anyway. He jumps into action, fully clothed. Chucky keeps telling Carl to drive the car faster to get there because he's turning more and more human inside his doll body. So she buckles herself in and then drives really fast, propelling Chucky out of the car, which isn't how it works. She'd have to brake. <laughs> well, not- she slams That's into... Does she slam into the fence and he flies forward and breaks the windshield? No, she like drives no, before yeah. that. She puts the foot down to accelerate and that propels him somehow forward through the windshield, which is not how propulsion works. No. In my very limited capacity of understanding propulsion, <laughs> but I feel even with my limited Physics. understanding, that's not how it works. No, I definitely thought for some reason that I missed that and I thought she had already either she had slammed on the brakes or slammed into the fence, which threw him forward. But yeah, that would that makes no sense if she no, hits then, the accelerator. Yeah, then he's at the then he's at the fence and she tries to ram into him, but he dodges out of the way. But not before saying. Oh, that's right. Not before saying his very 1990s line. Ali, do you have this one written down by any chance? I have my comment written down. <laughs> I don't have the line written down. His line is "Goddamn women drivers." <laughs> I wrote down, "Oh, baby Donald Trump." <laughs> baby Donald. Oh man, I don't know if I like this movie more or less if I think of Chucky as a little Donald Trump. He's got the fuzzy hair. I could see Donald Trump. Maybe he was a redhead when he was a kid and it's just faded as he's gotten older. He's got the orange skin instead of the hair. So it still, it makes sense. It works. It completely works. I see the resemblance. To a point that you may have ruined the He's got a tiny mouth, you know, little hands. Everything fits. I got five more movies to watch, Ali, and you might have just ruined all of them because now that's all I'm going to see. <laughs> it's You're going to see it more and more. Thank you. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> that's going <laughs> to stick around. She tries to crush him but fails and then, then doesn't even bother trying to restart the car. She just gets out straight away even though Chucky is outside. Literally, does not even one token, let's try and start a car, just gets straight out. So, of course, Chucky just captures her straight away. Bad decisions. <laughs> Yep. Andy, however, he is dressed and ready. I'm not sure what for, but he is ready for something. And then a fire alarm goes off, and I I presumed it was part of his cunning plan, and I'm admiring Andy. I'm like, awesome, he's got a plan, he's up to stuff. But the kids are all being evacuated at a foster home, come downstairs, nope, there's Carl with Chucky. They set off the fire alarm. I, what was Andy going to do? Was he running away, do you think? Yeah. Yeah, he's I think escape. he's trying to escape. I got the impression that he was going to escape and try and kill Chucky. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was guessing. He's going to go back to save Carl. Okay. I will accept that answer. The foster manager, though, takes Chucky away. So he stabs her and she lands on a photocopier machine, which continues to print out pictures of her face even after she's standing it. on yep. the floor. That's <laughs> pretty funny. <laughs> Loved it. It's so crazy and goofy. It'll just, <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. It's, it is. We are so in Looney Tunes territory here. <laughs> it's fantastic. Loved it. Carl is trapped in yet another closet. They like putting things in closets in these films. And Chucky is holding Andy hostage as they steal away in the back of a newspaper truck. 
Carl breaks out and dives out the window and then spots Andy and Chucky in the back of the truck as they drive away. So then she decides to go back to her car and try and start it because she didn't bother the first time. So why not now? And it does eventually start up. So she speeds off after them. Chucky's trying to do his incantation in the back of the truck. And Carl turns up beeping her horn. So Chucky gives her the middle finger. And then eventually... And I think this is our first Chucky middle finger, right? Yeah. Of the franchise oh, so far. Yeah, I think so. That I've noticed. Because I don't think there was one in the first one. I think you're right. Yeah, he wasn't quite this cheeky in the first one. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have a happy singing newspaper delivery driver who finally noticed that Carl exists after she's been beeping her horn for minutes and end. And he's just like, ah, da, da, I love my job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this guy's so good. <laughs> And he only noticed her because she literally has to swerve her car in front of him to stop him from driving. But then Chucky and Andy have already gone. And she looks up and follows them where? Of course, into the Play Pals factory. Where How else? Poetic. Everything ties back. Can I just ask you guys, is that just a coincidence that they're there? Or does Chucky intend to go back to the factory? I took it as a coincidence. I didn't see that he was okay. intending to go back there. Because all he wants is Andy. Yeah, he just needs and to be And they couldn't yeah, possibly have known where that newspaper truck alone. was going to go. That's true. Just a very convenient coincidence. Well, this is one of those moments. Again, this is from the original original script, was it was going to end up in the toy factory. So this, to uh, me, is just another bit where Don Mancini's just like, okay, we don't have an ending for this film. Cut and paste. <laughs> and so it doesn't really make any sense. But here we are <laughs> at the play pool. Yeah, he just like highlights the mother's name in the script and just changes yeah. it to Kyle. <laughs> you literally could. I got to think about that as we go through this, if you could do that, basically. We're in a room. We have a wide shot of inside the Playpals factory. I mean, I'm not going to say it's a big production value, but there are hundreds, if not thousands, of good guys doll boxes here. I was quite impressed by the sheer scale. Yeah, do you think that's all actual boxes? Was it? It wasn't a... No, there was no matte painting. Like a, a drawn thing? No, I couldn't see right. matte painting going on. Well, I really couldn't. I couldn't see it. And yeah, they tend to really stick out in the Blu-ray editions. So like I was... Yeah, I, I just think they just got hundreds of... I mean, they probably put you know something else in the middle and then just surrounded them with those. But, but still, there's a lot. A lot made. <laughs> it's a weird thing when you're just kind of basically applauding the prop department for making lots of boxes. For <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that's where I'm at. Chucky knocks Andy unconscious. This poor kid. Could he got knocked unconscious in the first film as well? Brain damage for sure. Yep, that's the second time. Second time. And then he says, from now on, no more Mr. Good Guy. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent little pun there. So he begins the incantation again. Clouds roll in. So I think in the things we have to look at in these Charles Play movies, we're looking at ineffectual cops. We're looking at Chucky doing middle fingers. If he's giving some good... Any any un-PC lines that he might be spouting. I think another one is we've got to grade how do these CGI clouds look in each film. Not CGI in this film, obviously. I think they look mildly better than the first film. You think so? I thought they looked exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> they probably were exactly the same. They probably just reused the same <laughs> asset. Yeah. It's just that poor, like you said uh, last time, Ghostbusters cloud effects. <laughs> they don't look great. <laughs> I'm just saying... <laughs> mildly better and i'm not necessarily saying the clouds are mildly better but just the joining between the clouds and the building was mildly less jarring <laughs> ali oh, you're a judicator final say 
I honestly didn't even notice. The one thing I did notice that I thought got worse was Chucky's walk, which it may have just been what they were going for in that specific scene. It was either in the school hallway or in the hallway of their home, but he's it's like a lot like it's just him and he's walking really slowly and it's like kind of robotic, but we're not I don't know. It was really slow. He's and walking it felt, towards the camera. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one where he's going to kill the teacher. I'll say I like that one earlier. I think that was kind of cool. Really, I was watching it. I was like, "Eh." I kind of feel just because even if we don't see him run, there's they use the camera as a POV so many times of him running that it feels silly to me to see him walking like this. And when I see it, I'm like, well, they did it better in the first one. Would you rather a little person in a suit? (laughs) A wide shot of a little person in a suit. Don't cut. And let them keep running at camera. It, that just would to be clarify, perfect. in the Chucky suit, not like a not like a dinner suit. <laughs> in a <laughs> in a like FBI agent in their wardrobe. Just playing dress yeah. up. They're in a fireman costume. <laughs> I like that shot, but yeah, the problem is, is that you don't. This series is so far anyway getting away with a lot. Like we talked about last podcast, in terms of we don't know how he's meant to move because he is a toy, so you're yeah. giving it the jankiness of his movement. But then when he is smooth, you're like, oh, they do. Do they want him to be smooth? Are they trying to make him smooth? Yeah. Or are they trying to make but him? But they robotic? make it seem like he can run with the camera. Yeah. So then, either keep doing that or find a different creative way to show it. If you're not able to get him to run and the audience see him run, I don't know, I don't know if they like know. It. Yeah, I don't know if they know what they want. I kind of like him being more janky. But yeah, it doesn't work with the other shots. What are we talking about? So yeah, he's doing his incantation. The boxes around him start shaking. He seems to finish the incantation and then Andy wakes up. And I was a bit confused. And you're thinking, is is he now in Andy finally? And Chucky's still bleeding and it hasn't worked. And he screams and realizes he spent too much time in the body. I've written down, I think it's less time than he spent in the first film in the body, so I'm not really sure about that. Is it accumulated time, though? Does the first film count? Ooh, interesting. You blew my mind, Alex. Just putting it out there. <laughs> <laughs> putting it out there. You child play apologist. You know, <laughs> I'm d- diving into the lore of Chucky. That's possible. Yeah, I guess that's possible, because his soul hasn't been in anything else, has it? Mm-mm. Okay, all right. Granite, you, I keep throwing them up. You just keep batting them out of the park. Knocking them down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Carl pushes good guy boxes on top of Chucky, as Ali, you said, is want to happen in these movies. And then she grabs Andy to run out of the maze of Chucky's. How do factory workers navigate this space? <laughs> That's what I want to know. My thoughts exactly. <laughs> yep. They have like a little like, slide this is a above the machines. poorly organized factory. <laughs> You need someone from above, like Pac-Man in it, <laughs> telling you directions for which way to go. <laughs> Every corner they turn is like a dead end. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And then they get to a conveyor belt so we can properly just recreate the end scene of Terminator, which this entire scene is surely just riffing off of the end scene of Terminator. Carl decides to go first like a dick. <laughs> just- I know! <laughs> I wrote that down. I was like, I really liked you until this point. Why would you not push him in there first? <laughs> so she's up and safe. And then poor Andy's trying to get up she's these like, rollers. Faster. <laughs> and then, of course, he slides down. And yeah, we get this great shot that we were sending to each other in a gif earlier on. 
where the camera's right up in his face. <laughs> and, and it's like, and this is before you had those sort of cameras where you could do this. So it's kind of cool. And you're just going down the roller with him and he's looking down scared. And then Chucky's at the bottom <laughs> just appears with, you know, yeah. when they replace Chucky's face with demon Chucky face. And he's just like, <laughs> just going mental. <laughs> I love it whenever they do this. There's no transition. It's just suddenly crazy Chucky face. No, so Carla grabs him pulls him out of Chucky's way and then traps the doll's right arm in the slide and we get for me the biggest gore scene in the film which is Chucky ripping his own right arm off yeah, yeah. you got like tendons pop in and it's nasty and this continues our trait with this series as well of Chucky getting his right arm removed which has happened so far in both of these films much That's like true. Star Wars again <laughs> George Lucas has had his grubby little fingers all over <laughs> he just this. turned up one day on set. You need more racial stereotypes, dolls, <laughs> in this movie. Although, to be fair, on the side of the Chucky's boxes, there are different, him in different costumes, which is interesting. So they're now in the factory section where the actual dolls are made. And I kind of like this idea of going through backwards through the doll's lifespan. So you've got the boxes, then to where they're kind of being put together. But it is very much still a Looney Tunes version of what a factory is. There's like yeah. the color sure. coordination here is nauseating. <laughs> I think it's the only one. There is a just a line because of like the whole automation of the dolls being put together. There's a line at the beginning in the other cartoony doll workshop when the guy's like, "Can they hurry up?" And the I think the doll maker that gets killed says, "We've never done it manually before." That's true. I think when he's referring to the yeah, to placing of the eyes. So now we're getting up to like seeing it. That's true. There's some payoff. In the factory line. Yeah, nice circular writing method that's going on. The ring cycle. Love it. <laughs> Don Mancini. Genius. Instead of... Well, actually, I have written down instead of... I don't... So they start... Carl encourages Andy to basically platform for a series of dangerous factory appliances. <laughs> I don't believe that the only way to an exit door is through this like 2d computer game <laughs> platformer that they have to do which again reminds me of star wars but attack of the clones but okay fair enough there's a exit at the end of it so that's the way they're going to do it they're crawling through it meanwhile we're cutting to chucky who's taking his blade and sticking it into the stub of his arm to make a sword arm yeah that bit's fucked and he takes yeah. it sorry excuse my language <laughs> excuse your language what did you say i said that bit's fucked why'd you say excuse chucky's your been much milder than you have yeah oh, yeah we've i forgot chucky i forgot chucky's <laughs> language <laughs> it looks pretty cool though i like this moment in putting that blade in there meanwhile the one person monitoring the factory floor <laughs> although clearly not well because so far no idea if any of this is going on. A computer game alarm goes off in his office, I guess. <laughs> Such a stupid sound. Because there's an obstruction on the factory floor of the dolls sort of ranking up on each other. And so he goes to check it out. Andy and Carl near the place where the molds are made of the dolls and discover that it's very, very hot. It's important that we see that. The factory worker inexplicably <laughs> decides to get right underneath the eye implant machine. <laughs> And Great here's idea. something which I don't want to say to you guys, like every single kill so far in the Chucky series, you see it coming a mile away. You know, they they put out all the flags for this stuff and they don't really subvert it in any way. It's really about, here's what we're going to do. You know, we're going to do it. Do you want to see us do it? All right, here you go. We did it. And then it's about how well did they do it? 
yeah, this one, of course, Chucky comes along, slashes him, pushes him into it, and he gets doll's eyes put into his actual eyes. So I feel the only real question is, is the payoff good enough when you see it? How do you guys like this one? This is a quite iconic Chucky kill. Yeah, I liked it. It was cool. I mean, it, it was like so obvious, the whole setup and everything, but I, I still was like, there he is, old doll eyes. Yeah. It's definitely, it's <laughs> it looked, very it was, silly. It was super cartoony. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's just kind of like, it It feels like when people get like the big googly eyes and they like furrow their eyebrows over it and put it on your face, that's kind of what he looked like. But it, I mean, exactly I appreciate that every kill is like creatively different from the previous kill. So it's silly and you definitely see it coming. It doesn't take you by surprise at all, but it's they're they're definitely being creative with it. I'm just thinking of how much more impact these kills would have if they could set them up in a way where you didn't see it happening and then suddenly something like that happens. It would be yeah. really, you know, quite shocking. And instead, we're really well prepared for it by the time it happens. Yeah, so I, I don't necessarily find... buy that that would kill him. It would be very painful, but... That's true. Here we are. That is true. Maybe he dies of shock. Or maybe he'll return in the sequel as Dole Man. Maybe. He's in a state of Old tonic Dole immobility. Ass. Old Dole Boy Eye. Carl accidentally hits a button that then sets off an alarm and shows to the audience and to them that you can recall a doll. And then, again, I feel, inexplicably, it'll go into this little room... That will meld it into abstract <laughs> Phoebe art with the yeah, pages just sticking, <laughs> sticking out from it. <laughs> Don't understand. Hello. In what world this would ever be a necessary contraption on a factory floor? Scraps? Do they have a lot of scraps? I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, because what was that what it was? That bit going up? I was kind of a little confused. I'll say that. <laughs> You'll say that you, you were a bit confused. <laughs> As to, yeah, what that bit was, the the molding. Well, yeah, it just like, I mean, I don't know what it's used for. It literally, it's not like it scrapped things or melted them down. It's that it molded them into a little statue. Yeah. And you saw the machine picking out hands. The full like bodies were good going, hands yeah. and legs <laughs> to attach to it. Yeah. So it wasn't like they were defect defective parts. It was like hand picking. It was like creating a bouquet. Yeah, <laughs> of, of, of doll, doll parts. parts. Mm-hmm. I don't understand in what capacity this would ever be useful in a factory. This is this how they? That's a good point. <laughs> this is one that I can't answer for you. <laughs> Finally, I pitch, and you buckle. <laughs> Had to happen sooner or later. But yeah, they show it to us so that we understand this concept. Even though I don't understand this concept, but I guess I understand the physicality of what's happening. <laughs> One of things are like, is happening but we showed you this is what happens in the world you're like but this doesn't happen in the world like, but we showed you so it does <laughs> like, okay let's proceed go on and then chucky turns up tries to attack them but they get a machine to staple him to the roller with those little tag things i don't i have no idea what you call those things and then they send him back immediately like they introduce it's not like they introduce that that process of melding and then go away from it. They introduce it and then immediately do it to him straight away. Yeah. So he's sent yeah. back up this little track, goes into this little machine, comes out a horrible, really horrible melted mess of doll parts. But it seems to be just his and legs. Bloody, yeah, just yeah, blood. Bloody legs. Arson and latex and 
it's pretty horrible actually mm-hmm. and they think they've won but the music says otherwise not even any fake out music here <laughs> like the music keeps being creepy even when they're looking all happy and yes moments later chucky is now using a winch <laughs> on the dead worker to knock carl into a machine while chucky goes after andy pushing himself along on a little cart <laughs> that's right <laughs> so we're getting closer to what the jack-in-the-box version of chucky would be alex is what you <laughs> yeah. asked for earlier yeah. and then he traps himself basically below hot liquid latex and i feel this is kind of important that he's done it to himself so andy pours it onto him and then andy heads off to rescue kyle who's yeah being she's also on a what do you call it those little roller track things heading up to the machine conveyor belt conveyor belt, conveyor belt. i like roller track thing <laughs> Ten- <laughs> the roller term. track thing so Andy yeah, takes dispatches with Chucky just pouring all of this hot latex onto him and then rescues Kyle. What a hero. What a kid. But Chucky's still not dead. <laughs> and the melted no. mess comes back to life. So what does he do? <laughs> he puts an air inflator in Chucky's mouth. <laughs> so we watch Chucky's entire face just swell up to like a balloon, looking very, very shocked. And it bursts and blood and latex goes everywhere genuinely pretty gross and his ending is pretty horrible (laughs) i'm a little confused about whether the material that chucky is made out of changes as he becomes more human or is he still completely if you touched him he would feel just like any other doll unless you cut him and see that he bleeds right that's an interesting point because his face blows up here but earlier when he kills Tommy the doll, kills, quote unquote, he's smashing the face of it and then it cracks like glass. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would say. So I'm wondering where that like elasticity comes from. I get, I mean, I get the if impression he's that he's definitely made of latex on the outside and his internal organs are all real. Maybe eventually, yeah, it would turn yeah, to skin. Human. I also think for him blowing up like this, it makes more sense if it's latex than if it's human skin because you would just well yeah that's what i i was confused about the rules of if he felt like any of the other dolls or if there's a clear difference if you touch him i would say inconsistent okay but unanswered <laughs> i'm going with latex Big old skin. question mark i go with latex okay. skin and internal organs yeah which is just something gross about that just having a doll and then when you cut it open there's actual tendons and stuff inside there is yeah yeah pretty. there's still no bone though is there he's still got this sort of metal mainframe inside him as far as i could see does he yeah because i guess when he rips off his hand you don't see any exposed bone but you no. see yeah. a lot of tendon pretty sure and flesh but yep pretty dead for chucky there they keep doing these big grandstanding finales with him like he really keeps coming back and they just take him apart just so you, keep yeah. going <laughs> so you're just like how are they gonna do another one so then andy and kyle leave it's daybreak they're walking out of the factory andy says where are we going and kyle says home he says where's home he says andy i have no idea and credits on a really credits dark <laughs> Like, yep. <laughs> it's like it's like really it's just really just going to yeah back into the foster system i suppose <laughs> it's like that that yeah. i thought the ending was so funny it just like so yeah abrupt <laughs> and then with the like the good guys big billboard like waving as they leave yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i was just reading there was actually an alternative ending 
or an extended ending where it reveals that a chunk of Chucky's skin after his head exploded got mixed in with good guy doll making plaster and then a machine is seen making a new good guy doll head which then forms a sinister smile oh that was the original ending was it so that was a yeah and a sort of an extended ending that's intriguing because well yeah we'll see i have vague memories moving forward in one of the sequels of something similar to that happening so another little interesting trivia point that i found was that there was a tie-in novelization of the film written by Matthew J. Costello, and the author added in some of his own plot scenes exclusive to the novel, such as going deeper into Andy's and Chucky's past. Chucky is characterized as having an absent father and his abusive mother being a dwarf. And Chucky got got teased a lot because of this and later strangled his mother to death. And it's also revealed in the novelization that Chucky was put in special classes when he was younger. Wow. Thank you. Yeah, they used to do that a lot, a didn't of- they? You'd get the slasher films, a lot of them had novelizations, which would then fill in extra gaps. And th- that would never happen now. Can you imagine just like the new Jigsaw movie? Did you get this novelization? I mean, I'm saying that. Maybe they do exist. I have no clue. But I can't imagine that people yeah, do that now. It seems could. like a 1980s thing to do. Yes, I also read apparently the, so the original opening of this film, they were actually going to have... Catherine Hicks reprising her role of the mother and they were going to start with a court scene that was going to deal with the events from the first film and we're going to have Catherine Hicks in that in that scene just to sort of tie up those loose ends but they ended up just doing it in a single sentence of oh she's in a home basically she's been she's put away home. she was nuts the original script was also set at Christmas originally which which yeah was changed for I don't know why set dressing budget reasons maybe I don't know which makes more sense for the Toy Factory theme, I feel, is kind of what's big for this Christmas, you know? And would have tied Always in perfectly with dog. Home Alone. Exactly. For yeah. their crossover. That good double bill for 1990 Almost at the exact same film. Chris Sarandon, who played our favorite detective in the first film, he was originally also going to reprise his role as the detective, but his scenes were cut for budget reasons before they got to shooting. But yeah, he was originally going to turn up in this. I have no idea where he would have fit into the story. And as we went through the finale there, I could totally imagine it just as his mother and not as Kyle. Like there, there's nothing there that mm-hmm. need, that needs it to be quite Kyle. Not even in dialogue, really. Even that end bit of like, where's mm-hmm. home? Just, I don't know. <laughs> like the mother could totally do the yep. same thing. It doesn't. So the good guy doll in this, the new one is called Tommy. And that was after the original director, Tom Holland. There's a little nod to him. Which was nice to them, considering they were banned from his set during the filming of the first film. <laughs> Maybe that's why they kill him. They smash his face in. Yeah, exactly. The girl that plays Carl was Christina Elise's debut feature film. I thought she did good. Hmm. Yeah, I did yep. too. I liked her. And there was someone else called Mark Patrick Carducci, who was also developing a script for this film at the same time Don Mancini was. He had just come off of writing Pumpkinhead shortly before. He didn't really go on to do much else, so he didn't really... I mean, he's done a few things, but his IMDb is very small. Yeah, the film opened at number one at the box office. It may not be there in our top 20 movies of the year, but it did open at number one. And I think it's important to say at this point, it's okay, because for the next film, we're going to have to talk about it in more of a somber term. So I'm not going to have to hear. But this film was very big with kids. And these films are very big with kids. And it's very interesting when you see like 
I mean, a lot of kids in the 80s attached to Jason films and Freddy films and stuff like that. But Child's Play in particular resonated for, I think, different reasons to do with what Don Mancini was trying to do originally, which is, you know, have someone of child size and child frame who's basically taking down the establishment of bullies and teachers and your babysitters who, when you're a kid, they're your enemies, you know? And it always rubbed me the wrong way that kids really, well, used to anyway, used to really love Chucky. Because this doesn't, as, as childlike as much of the humor and sets feel in this movie, I still don't feel this is necessarily appropriate viewing for a kid. Alex, how old did you say you were when you were watching this? So it was probably, it was not long after I had moved to Indonesia. So I would have, I would say it would have been around, it could have been anywhere between six and eight. Okay. Explains a lot about your personality. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I relate a lot to little Andy. Yeah. Because I was of the same age. Well, that is the thing. And it is weird. We said in first film to have a protagonist that young. But yeah, you've got two places to get on board here as a kid. Like you see Andy as yourself and you also kind of embody your darkest fantasies through Chucky. It's, I don't know, it's a weird franchise so far. It's a weird place to be getting into. But yes, so this film, IMDb, the last movie, got a whopping 6.6. Do you reckon this film, well, you're probably looking... (laughs) <laughs> you've seen but do you reckon this film gets a higher imdb or a lower imdb uh, one second I'm let me just take say... a look <laughs> <laughs> for, an edu- for an educated guess i'm gonna guess lower okay i'm gonna say half a point higher Ooh, interesting ali wins i'm afraid it got a 5.8 on imdb at the moment which is still you know decent for a horror franchise we're not dipping below the fives yet, which is where a lot of horror franchises would get to. But then that brings me, that's the score that IMDb has given it. What are the scores that we would give it? What are our impressions of Child's Play 2? Alex, let's start with you because you weren't a big fan of the first film. You seem to be having more fun with this one, but how is it overall for you? Are you actually going to recommend this one? And yeah, like, like last time, where do you, what do you want it to do next? Well, so I think, yeah, the key here is, did I have fun? And the answer is yes. I had, I enjoyed this all the way through. Like I, I had fun with it. I had a good time. I think I the thing that I spoke about last week was the balance of knowing whether I should laugh or not, whether it was trying to be like a serious thriller or horror and never really knowing. And so kind of just being in this place, it's like, I feel like I'm laughing at the expense of this film the whole way through whereas with this i i think just from the get-go it was like just outlandish and cartoony and just over the top and i i knew what i was going to expect from like that first kill in the factory i was like okay this is just going to be like crazy over the top fun sort of slasher horror and and that was it that was how i watched it and that's how i enjoyed it i enjoyed I enjoyed the kills. I thought they were just really cool. I wasn't scared at any point. Yeah, I felt for me the turning point was probably what was just before the basement scene. Oh yeah, so the school scene. Like so from the school scene and then into the basement, that's when it really like gripped me and I started getting a sense of like okay, now they're kind of playing more to I guess kind of classic or well, not classic but just kind of 
horror conventions of that time. And I felt, even though it sort of gave me a sense of knowing what to expect, I felt comfortable in that because then I could, I knew how to watch it and I knew how to kind of react, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. And it allowed me to kind of go with it and enjoy it and enjoy this, the outlandish craziness of it all. And as far as the characters, like I really liked Andy again. Yeah, I think it's a bold move to have a kid, first of all, be a lead in a film and then a horror film and to expect him to like carry it all the way through. And, you know, he's not perfect in some parts, but I I am still with him. And I like the idea that in this one, he is like this sort of more broken kid and we're getting people's perspective of that, of that, like, you're the one that's messed up, like, (laughs) you know, and I like that, that sort of angle. I thought Kyle was a really cool character, just very likable and her dynamic with Andy was really cool. But yeah, like now going through this podcast and reflecting back, just a very simple replacement for the mother in most parts, particularly the end, like in a way that doesn't necessarily define Kyle in a unique way. Although you get a bit of that when she's still at the home and talking about her past. So yeah, I would absolutely recommend this one. I think for me, this was like a great place to, I was so happy that it kind of reset everything for me immediately after the last one, which I really didn't like. And it sort of played into kind of, my expectations and I guess maybe part of my memory of what Chucky was because this was probably the first film I saw. So yeah, I definitely recommend it. It's fun. It's crazy. It's, it's not scary. I, I have to emphasize that for me anyway, it's like, there's no part in it that I felt really scared, but I had a good time points wise. I would give it a 6.5, 7. Nice. Okay. Somewhere around there. Yeah. That's what I love. I really love because normally, okay, so behind the curtains, how we do these quite often in the past, we've done these shows by we all get together, we'll watch the movie together and then go do the podcast. So you do like feed off of each other a little bit. You have an idea of where people's emotions are in a movie when you watch it next to them. And for yeah. the, these, this one and for most of Texas Chainsaw, not all of it, but some of it, yeah, we haven't been able to do that. So it's been kind of it's fun fun for me to like have no idea which way people are going on films and you don't get influenced by each other as well with stuff like that which is cool i think you just get more genuine reactions of just your relationship to that film yeah Yeah. ali so i there's a lot of things that they do in this film that i like and the main thing that i asked for last week was that i wanted chucky to go over the top and just be a total dick which he is i think yeah, the I mean the woman's driving line is is Donald Trump. The other lines, I wish there were more lines that were as quotable as what he says. Not necessarily quotable, but over the top with curse words of what he says to the mom in the first one. Like just every curse word he can think of all in one insult. I think that is really funny. Are you looking for the C um, word? So like, is that what you're really waiting for, sorry? Ali? You're looking for the C word. Is that what you're waiting for? Hey, it might happen in 2017. You never know. Okay. But yeah, I like when he just like throws a just a long, long, long three sentence insult out at somebody. I think it's hilarious. I really like Kyle. <laughs> I think Kyle's awesome. I like her relationship with Andy. I don't mind that the mom isn't in this film just because she she was she was okay in the first one. She wasn't amazing, but no one was really an amazing actor or actress in the first one. And no one was really that amazing in this one either. I think the best actor that I, we've seen in both films has been Kyle. 
I have a lot of problems with Andy. And I I know that he's a kid and I know that it's hard to work with children, especially in a horror film. Like it's hard. How do you without genuinely scaring the kid and facing a lawsuit? How do you get them to react that way in high stress situations, which a lot of that's the place he needs to be in for most of this film and the series, I would imagine, if he continues to be in them. But it's hard for me to get behind it if I am not with the main character, even if it is a kid. So I just, it's harder for, I love Kyle and I think Kyle's great. There was never a point where I thought Kyle was then going to become the final girl and we were rid of Andy and he was gone. I always thought it was Andy, Andy's film the whole time. But Kyle's kind of the only reason I liked this. (laughs) Right, okay. Yeah, Kyle and some of Chucky's lines, I guess. But yeah, I didn't didn't like the factory stuff. I didn't like the agents. I feel like the the presence of the agents is pretty inconsistent in that they're present in the beginning. You think they're going to be around for a while and you never really come back to them. Mm -hmm. So with all of that being said, I am not crazy about this movie. (laughs) I would probably give it... I know. (laughs) I'd probably give it a 5.5 or a 6 just because of Kyle, really. Like, I really liked Kyle. As we were talking through this, I kind of started getting an idea of where I hope for it to go because my main comment after I watched this film that I wrote down is I genuinely have no idea how they're going to make more of these. Like, we have now (laughs) had two films where Chucky has definitely died and it makes no sense to me how they're going to do it again. And I'm like, there are five more of these. I don't see how that's going to happen. <laughs> so Alex, you talking about that ending would have made more sense of like, oh, no, he's still alive. But in obviously, we're doing a retrospective series. So we do know that he comes back. We do know that there are more movies. So I, what I kind of want to happen, I haven't looked at any of the IMDb pages or trailers or anything. So I have no cool. idea if Andy comes back. But I think it would be really cool to have or even for this one to have been Andy being really bullied in school and Chucky, a new rule happens or he realizes he's spent too much time in this body and he's just like going to be a doll forever. So he accepts that and takes it and just decides to still fuck shit up as a doll and (laughs) is like, I don't know, maybe still after Andy just because of the fact that he didn't get away with what he was trying to do, but then sees a kid bullying Andy and protects him, and then they kind of team up together. I think that would have been <laughs> a bit really of like fun. anti-hero kind of style. Yeah, so Andy's doesn't like Chucky because Chucky destroyed his life, but he's also kind of still being bullied by people, doesn't have his mom present anymore, is in a foster home, is bouncing from place to place, and then Chucky protects him one day, and he realizes they're both damaged souls, and they become pals, and they destroy Chi-Town. <laughs> I think that'd be fun. I love that. That's that's amazing. (laughs) Well, okay. So, yeah, I will say right now, I mean, you're in the right place. I'm presuming Alex might have, like, poked around a little bit more. But if you haven't yet, try not to look at IMDb pages for the future movies until we're on them or until you've seen the film. Try Literally until you've seen after the film. And try not to definitely watch any trailers or anything like that. Because I will say one of the best things about the Charles Plays franchise is that it does go to places you're not going to expect it to go to. And there will be, without spoiling anything, there will be certain callbacks to things that if you even just look on IMDb and you know, oh, that character's there at some point, your expectations will be different 
from whether it's just like an homage, whether it's a flashback, whether it's a, you know, reoccurring cat, whatever it might be. And definitely a whole bunch of the delight of the Chucky films is how outlandishly inventive they kind of get with that stuff and not knowing what's going to happen next. So I think absolutely just going into a movie and watching it and then check out the IMDb afterwards is, is going to be the best way from here on out. But we are in a sort of, I will say like we're in a sort of trilogy at the moment and then things are going to change a lot after that. So yeah, you may not have all your answers or all the things you're asking for straight away, but keep well, stick around because you have to because we're doing this retrospective. <laughs> <laughs> so you gave it. Oh, so you only gave it like a point less than the first one. So it's not like you hated yeah, it. Yeah, I gave. Yeah, I gave the first one a seven. I honestly, it's because if Kyle weren't in here, this would be much lower. You hate children. but I really, okay. I still don't. I just really don't like the main, our main guy. Right. Not that I don't like him. I just don't buy his reactions to things. Which takes me out you of it. You hate children. Mm, mm. I hate kids. Kids are the fucking worst. <laughs> there it is. Sounded like Chucky. Yep. So I do like I do like Andy. No, he's not always convincing. I really like him still being the lead. I really like that he's still the same actor and, you know, realistic age moved on. Because this is set two years after the original. We didn't mention that, I guess. I like the whole foster care thing. I think it's a very dark thing to get involved with. And they handle it okay. I like Kyle a lot and I really did think for a moment oh wow they're going to get rid of Andy and maybe he'll come back at some point but they're going to lock him away again and we're going to be with Kyle now and I thought it was a very smart way to allow us to accept a more typical slasher you know heroine which is not what they do I also like I like that Don Mancini's trying to do a bit more of what he wanted to do to begin with Chucky's you know kind of getting more involved with the attrition of what Andy's, you know, frustration is with the world. And I like that Chucky's, yeah, obviously the animatronics are getting a little bit more sophisticated. Obviously, we're straying more into slasher territory, which I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of slasher films. Nothing about this movie works for me. <laughs> Just these basic, broad ideas. I like these characters. I like some of these actors. I think it's some ways better written than you'd expect in terms of character direction but the writing the sets the camera angles the music the just none of it works for me it really doesn't and i get that they're just trying to have a fun looney tunes time i'm with you guys well i guess ali you didn't mention if you were scared at any point but i'm i'm guessing that's a no yeah like this is this is not a scary movie and i'm fine with it not being a scary movie again i'm judging it like first one am i having a fun time and like alex said he is with this i'm not I'm not having a fun time with this movie. I want to be... I see what they're doing. They're making Chucky into a comic book character, and that's what every slasher villain tries to be. Some are born that way, like Jason, and some try and get their like leather face, as we've covered exhaustively and arguably never made it. Chucky does get there. I think he's immediately a comic book villain here, but he's more of... He's a cartoon here. And that's not... It just doesn't work for me. I'm not having fun with it. I'm not finding it funny. And I'm not finding it shocking. I appreciate their energy, I guess, is what I kind of like about this movie. They seem enthusiastic about it. But for me, I just I found it pretty dull. I found it pretty boring. My favorite thing was the relationship between Andy and Kyle. And I would have liked to have seen that dealt with in a different way. But I much, much, much prefer the first film to this one, which makes me very happy <laughs> that we're getting different opinions here in these movies. And 
knowing where this series is going to, we're probably going to get some very radically different opinions. Yeah, I I don't know what I'd give it. I really don't. Like, I got bored when I was watching this film for the majority of it. I didn't hate it. I just found it dull and kind of stupid. I would give it... Fuck. I'd, I need to look at my other slasher scores to see how... What am I marking this up against? But to me, this it's not as bad because <laughs> it's not that crazy. But this is like... This is like a more polite version of the Freddy's Dead thing, Alex. <laughs> this is like... Totally. It's absolutely like that. Like, we're separating into where that fun comes from, and I just can't get it from the cartoony stuff. So, I don't know. Like, it's it's a 4.5 for me, maybe. Like, I don't know. I'm not liking this at all. <laughs> and again, for me, if I give something a 5, that means it's, you know, it's doing what it's doing okay. If you're a fan of that genre, you should go and see that film. So, this is only just shy of... If you're a fan of slasher films, you'll get some enjoyment out of this, and I think you will. But the weird thing is, is I feel the most majority of this movie is made for if you're a kid, you'll get some enjoyment out of this. But I don't think this movie is appropriate for kids because of certain scenes. Yeah, I don't scenes. think so either. So that's why I find it weird. Yeah, I mean, where do I want it to go? I want it to pick a personality. That's what I really want. I feel the first one tried to be somber and didn't always work at that. And I feel this one's trying to be goofy, but it's not the humor that I want. So, I mean, no, I mean, I guess they did pick a personality with this one. I just didn't like it. I would like them. I'm happy with them going fun. I would like to do that for an adult audience. So so it's adult fun. Yeah. Or I would like them to go back and try and make it scary again. Which, I, well, yeah. Like, I, I, I don't know how easy that is to do after this movie. Once you've invented Chuck, Chucky in this way. Because this is really the film where Chucky becomes Chucky. This is the Chucky that people know. So I don't know how you go back from that by putting him more in the shadows or making him more sinister again. I am happy. I'll tell you what. What I liked about this movie more than the first one, by quite some margin, is we got very little voodoo shit. <laughs> very yeah. little yep. of that bullshit. They just kind of... The incantation, I can, I, I'm fine with that. I can deal with that. As long as we don't introduce any more voodoo mythology and characters and stuff and naked penis paintings. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there you go. That was Charles Play 2. I'm nervous for the next one because i have vague recollections <laughs> of it and as we talked about three normally isn't a good number in any franchise but i do know that we'll be moving into very different horizons after that so at least there's only one more that's definitely in this first spat because then there was a big gap there was like a seven year gap or eight year gap before they came back to chucky whereas this movie that we're going to talk about next friday came out a year after this so very quick turnaround and a typical slasher turnaround as well. That was a long period of time where Friday the 13th just had one out every single year. So yes, that was a Charles Play 2 podcast. I think we did everything that we came here to do. Body count, Alex, what was that? Higher than the last one. Final body count was seven. Seven people killed. So still not that high, but higher than the last one. It's going up. Let's see if it can keep, keep going up. Yeah, it didn't even double the last one. No. <laughs> but it went up. Yeah, yeah. the last one was, what, four, wasn't it? Like four. F- six four. if you count the two times Chucky died, but four, really. <laughs> yeah, we'll be back next Friday, but you can go over to wearegeeks.com right now. You can go to wearegeeks.com, where you can then branch out to our iTunes. You can check out our regular podcast that goes up every single Tuesday, simply called Geeks, where we talk about games and movies and stuff. 
And you can check out our horror channel, which is every Friday, which is what you're listening to right now, where we walk you through an entire retrospective franchise. We've done A Nightmare on Elm Street. We've done Friday the 13th, Invasions of the Body Snatchers, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Next year, we're going to be tacking Halloween and Hellraiser and Scream and other fun things like that. Scream! Scream! And what else can you do? On wearegeeks.com, you can also email us directly, or you can just mail mail at wearegeeks.com. Mail us a letter. (laughs) Yeah, or you can just send us a letter. We should get a PO box just in case. I like letters. Mail at weirdgeeks.com. What else? Also at weirdgeeks.com, you can branch out to our Twitch streams where you can see us playing some video games because we like to do that kind of goofy stuff and all of our social medias for the official company. Or you can branch out to a little tab down there for a publisher called weirdtessellate.com. And they are a production company run out of London, LA, and Tokyo making feature films. We just finished the first one called Starfish, and we talk about that on the weekly podcast as well as on the websites and our social medias when we're allowed to. I've been your host, Al White. You can get in contact with me, Mr. Al White, on all the social medias and Mr. Al White on the video game consoles. Alison Holland is what? Is Ali Sue on Instagram. And hidden everywhere else. <laughs> Just hiding. And Alexander yep. Chard, where can people not expect replies from you? Oh, uh, you can do that on Twitter at Alexander Chard and the same on Instagram at Alexander Chard. Excellent. I'm glad that you went with ubiquitous, you know, templates for all of your social medias that you will not reply to people on. It's very considerate of you. You're welcome. Thank you very much for listening. We appreciate it. If you can go to iTunes and subscribe or give us a star rating or a comment, it helps us out. We would appreciate it. We'll be back next Friday with Child's Play Just 3. That's all it's called. I mean, they're just going to get better from here on in. (laughs) Woo! And we're out. (laughs) Bye.